Oh boy, episode 270, Mitch Unfiltered, Hotshot Scott. Not the topic, not the uh, tenor of what we wanted to speak about on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered, but hey, there's some winners and some losers. What are you going to do, pop one open over there? Is that what you're going to do? Well, it's it's not a celebratory night for everybody, but uh, it is for me. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Drink my sorrows away. God, no I better it. time than now. Oh boy. Uh so many thoughts. I don't even know how to just get them all together in some sort of cohesive package. No well, let clue. me start with the most important thought. I hate losing to that guy. Yeah, that's a whole nother element that just really bothers me. I can't stand losing to that guy. And I'm going to put into word. I'm going to quantify that. I'd rather lose to Mark Few. Whoa, that's I'd, something. I'd rather lose to Phil Mickelson. Wow. I'd rather lose to Lance Armstrong. I'd rather lose to Nick Saban. I'd, I'd rather lose to Urban Meyer. I'd rather lose to Marv Levy like I did every single time in the 1990s. Yeah. You and everyone else in the AFC, don't worry. Nobody more than yeah. us. Nobody more than us in the AFC. I hate losing to that guy. He yeah. drives me absolutely bonkers. I don't know what it is. He's awkward. Every time I see him interviewed, am I wrong? He's just, he's just really, he's really weird, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he just, never, yeah. he just, I don't know, yes. I don't know a better word to describe it. He never answers the question that he's asked. Have you noticed that? They ask him yeah. a question and he goes almost as if he's rehearsed a different answer because he's so awkward and so uncomfortable around everyone. I'm surprised that his own team doesn't find him the epitome of awkwardness. He is just weird, that dude. That dude is so weird. Yeah, I, I heard that he scripts the first hundred words for every uh, <laughs> interview he does, which is why it doesn't really sound natural when it comes out. Uh, no, it is, it's weird that he gets players to react to him and respond yes, to him yes. and play their ass off for the guy because yes. he seems so unlikable. Yes, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. Honest to God, I, I think he's at the top of my list, and that's a pretty tough top of the list to get to. to that's a tough mountain to climb. When you can yeah. climb higher than Phil Mickelson and Mark Few on my list, come on. <laughs> I know. I, I was a little surprised to hear that. It's one thing to lose the national championship game. It's another thing to lose to that jackass. Yeah. Nothing about him I like. <sighs> and to think that if Pete Carroll should, I don't know, step aside or – Jody Allen should ask him to step Don't aside. Say Don't say it. I, I might literally have to quit. <laughs> I might have to quit being a Seahawks fan, move out of Seattle. Just, the notion that he could ultimately be the Seattle Seahawks head coach? No. You would warm to it. I would warm to it? No. I mean, look what he did at Stanford. No. Impressive. No. Look what he did with the Niners. Look what he's done at fucking Michigan. They just won the national championship. I am not saying that he's you not a good coach. I, you, you got me wrong. I mean, he... Obviously, he's a very good coach. Sometimes he skirts the rules a little bit, but obviously he's a very good coach. He did a nice job everywhere he's been. The University of San yep. Diego. I think he was at San Diego before he went to Stanford. Mm. He's so hard to even appreciate. I, I, There's something off about him. Completely. Yeah. Anyway, episode 270. <sighs> Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hello. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Bowling Green? <laughs> you ever been to Bowling Green, Kentucky? Did you? Never been to Kentucky. Did you ever know where Bowling Green was? If I'd asked you, where is Bowling Green? Could you have? I might have said Ohio. 
I think, yeah, maybe you're thinking of is Ball State in Ohio yeah, or is maybe. that Indiana? I think that's Indiana. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I would have known where Bowling Green, but didn't they make the tournament every once in a while or don't they? That's something. They do something. And there's something yeah. that, the fact that we all know Bowling Green. Yeah. Bowling Green, <laughs> Kentucky. Owensboro, Kentucky. Hello. Area code 270. Bowling Green. Population. Take a shot. Population of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Well, if it has a big school there, um, 12,400. 80,000 people. The provisional, I thought. The provisional capital of the Federate Kentucky during the Civil War. Have you ever bought a Spalding basketball or stolen somebody else's <laughs> Spalding basketball? You ever Aren't seen- there only like seven Spalding basketballs in the world when you're a kid? And we all just kind of steal them from each other the whole time. No one buys one. Spalding. Yes. yes, Spalding Sporting Goods originated, oh. headquartered in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Interesting. Area code it's 270. Yeah. yeah, they were big for a while. I don't think they were ever big. I think they were cheap. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think they well, were. The- look, Walmart's not expensive, <laughs> but they're big. All right. <laughs> they sell a hell of a lot of merch. <laughs> I've got names. I've got names okay. of people that you know from Bowling Green, Kentucky. None other than born in 1880, Duncan Hines, himself <laughs> really yes <laughs> duncan hines okay god Ni- i love 1952 introduced his bread 1953 sold his name to form the hines park foods company his cake mixes came about and the rest as they say is history duncan hines himself <laughs> born in bowling green kentucky have you ever seen a television show called Cash Cab. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that host. He's pretty funny. Ben Bailey is from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Okay. He's a He's uh, comedian slash yeah. host of the show Cash Cab. How about uh, American filmmaker John Carpenter? He's oh, from now Bo- you're talking my language. Really? Do you know John? Car- oh. I didn't know who John Carpenter was until I looked up Bowling Green, Kentucky. You know that name? You're joking right now. No, I, this I is didn't. some kind of gag. No, it's not. I know the Carpenter. The 1978 classic Halloween. Yes. The Thing? Yes. The Fog? Yes. Very I good. I love John Carpenter. I, he, I, he wrote the score to Halloween. He's I never genius. expected this. This is very impressive. Well, I didn't know. I do love horror movies, so he's okay. he's horror movie royalty. Well, he's so from, I love him. Wow. He's from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Nice. Had no idea. How about former NBA player and current Twitter star, although I never really quite understood his popularity on Twitter because all he really does is retweet oh. everybody else's material. <laughs> yeah, he this went, has bothered you for a while. I know I've, I heard you talk about this. The yeah. University of Kentucky's own Rex Chapman is from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Broke my effing heart sitting in the sports pit at Sports Radio 950 Yeah, when he hit that shot against the Sonics. Do you yes. remember that? I was standing underneath the basket. Where the ball went through the net. What do you mean, do I remember? I was the sideline. There's a, I've told you this story. There is a, at the Phoenix Suns facility, there are pictures of the shot. They call it the shot. But by the way, we yeah. should mention that the Sonics won that game. You know that, right? Why did I feel so shitty then? Did they really? That sent it to overtime, and I believe the Sonics okay. won that game in overtime. It was a playoff game. But they call that the shot. I think I've told you this story before. And they had like this panoramic view of the entire stadium when that shot went through the net and they mm-hmm. and they point out different things. Phil, they put an arrow down Phil Mickelson. They put an arrow this guy, that That's guy, this cool. guy. And they literally put an arrow down to 
the Sonic sideline guy getting ready to run out onto the court in a Sonics win, and it was me. Really? I'm in the <laughs> shot. I'm identified as the sideline reporter getting ready to go onto the court when Rex Chapman hit the shot. I kid you not. Amazing. Yeah. Rex Chapman, yeah. Bowling Green, Kentucky. Former Seahawks offensive lineman, George Fant, a two-sport star at Western Kentucky University. Remember, he played basketball and offensive line, yeah, yeah. and then he became a member of your Seattle Seahawks. He is from Bowling Green, Kentucky. So there you go. You know everything there is to know, including Duncan Hines from Bowling, <laughs> area code 270, Bowling Green, Kentucky. I swear to you, I'm walking around QFC on New Year's Eve or, so, or Christmas Eve, I don't know. Some Eve, and my yeah. wife's texting me, hey, I have to make a dish. You got to get me a Duncan Hines, blah, 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 really? cake mix. Like, I bought one uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. He's you go. still killing it, Duncan Hines. And it's a great idea, though. And his family, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren, thank you, Hot Shots. <laughs> they haven't worked. None of them have had to work their entire lives. You're very welcome. All of them got a nickel when you made that purchase <laughs> at the QFC. I hope you got more people from Bowling Green so we don't have to talk about the game. Can yeah, we just keep going it. with that's that? That's all I got. You're out. Episode Shit. 270. Right. Subscribe on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google. Listen and rate and review us. Hopefully five stars. It really helps. We're going to take a week off, by the way, Hotshot, now that the NCAA championship has come and gone and the Seahawks have been eliminated. So episode 271 will be in 13 days from now on that Monday. You can become a Mitch Unfiltered patron and get all the bonus shows for just $5 a month. We will have bonus show activity this week. Beat the Boys, presented by Fireside Home Solutions, is now officially in the books. I'll expect a Barry Manilow musical oh. retrospective because I beat you in our bet, our side Shit. wager. Really? Yeah. Ah. Producer Steve finished 55th. Mitch finished 128th. Hotshot 152nd. Slickhawk 220th. Danny O'Neill 349th, which means I have to give out 54 prizes because 54 beat the boys, which means 54 prizes are coming out, including a $1,000 grand prize to Pat Mest 2112, who had 40 points beating J.C. Bullet by one point, who had oh 39. Oh, my gosh. Yep. One Congrats. point. So a heck you, of a prize. So when you do the math, there were 54 games, 18 times three. Sounds right. Pat Mest 2112 got 40 out of the 54 games right to win Damn, the grand prize. Really impressive. Good for him. Congra or her. Congratulations. I guess we don't know. It's Pat. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Could go either way. <laughs> oh, I don't think that he or she's going to be very happy with that, but they'll be happy with the $1,000. Guests on this episode, yes. 270, Rick Neuheisel, the Seahawks no table, Brady and Brian, and myself on the win against the Cardinals, but more importantly, where do the Seahawks go from here? They'll finish the season at 9-8 and eight and outside of the playoff picture, Peter King, NFL insider, football morning in America. Playoffs are set. We'll see what he's hearing about. Any possible changes coming to the Seahawks? Is he hearing whispers about Pete Carroll? Is he hearing whispers about a sale? If there was a job opening, who would be the, the coaching candidates for the Seattle Seahawks? We'll talk all about that with Peter King. And episode 270, Hot Shot Scott, doesn't begin officially without words from our partners like Zeke's Pizza. Remember... Every NFL playoff day, $10 off of all orders of $40 or more at all Zeke's locations by using the code PIGSKIN10. I think that rather than eat the pizza, 
I'll put it over my eyes so that I can't see the Dolphins-Chiefs game on Saturday night. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition, which is now history. It's over. And congrats are in order to the top 54 finishers, all of whom beat us. Beat the Boys will all receive prizes. Producer Steve finished 55th. A thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to Pat Mest. 2112. Check out a new fireplace or garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage looks like interest rates still moving in the right direction, and it's time to jump in and make some difficult decisions. And that's where Jordan Flowers and his Woodenville team comes in. They make it much easier. Jordan's direct number for all your mortgage needs, 425-890-2957. Daniel's Broiler, an exciting 2024 on tap. No place better to celebrate special occasions. You really need to consider the original location at Leshy because it just reopened after a major facelift. We love Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses, and Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth, and this is episode 270 of Mitch Unfiltered, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. If you were the running back on that day, in your prime, in your best, you would have had, and you had the exact same situation as Kenneth Walker, you would have gained four yards total the entire game. That was the greatest 54-yard performance Ever. in NFL history. Yep, you're right. Unfiltered. I am not a Geno basher. Everybody knows that. People are probably tired of it already. Yeah, they yeah. want me to keep bashing them. I don't think Geno is the issue on offense. Now, do I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL? No. Do I think that they he should be the quarterback of this team next year? I don't know. But I don't know that Drew Locke gives him any better a chance to win than Geno. In fact, I don't think that. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, episode 270 is underway, Hotshot Scott. Yep. I wish I had better news for you, but the University of Washington came up a little short in the national championship game. I thought for sure when I saw big Steve Entman, big bad Steve Entman come out for the uh, the (laughs) coin toss, I was like, come on, there's no way Washington is losing this game. But Michigan gets the better of Washington, and now you're going to have to settle for a runner-up a national championship runner-up. Uh, that's kind of the way the Hurricanes felt in 91, I think. You know, so you, you can probably speak to being a runner-up for a national championship. Sure. You know that feeling a little bit, right? No, I don't. Help us understand what that's like. Uh, I don't know that feeling. <laughs> okay, fine. Are we blaming but the offense? I do. Are we blaming the offense? Are we blaming the defense? Are we blaming the coaching staff? Are we giving just all the credit in the world to Michigan? Was it a Michigan-induced problem? I know that, you know, the first thing is obvious. They just got gashed in the running game, especially in that first quarter and those first three or four possessions or first two or three possessions. And then late, 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 late in the game, they got gashed again. But there was that middle section of the game from like the, the beginning of the second quarter all the way to midway through the fourth quarter where they tightened up against the run and they were just fine defensively. Are we blaming the offense for being out of sync? Are we blaming Michael Penix for doing un-Michael Penix-like things like miss receivers? 
receivers dropping balls. You know, that offensive line was awarded the medal, the, the best offensive line in all of college football. Right. Well, it did not play on Monday night like the best offensive line in college football. Had trouble protecting on four-man rushes. Had trouble protecting on five-man rushes. Had trouble making any kind of hay in the ground game. To me, if you said, okay, where did Michigan really, really win the game? I would say in the trenches. Their offensive line did a great job against Washington's defensive line and vice versa. Their defensive line kind of whipped the Washington offensive line. Yeah, you know, I love a nice message board. And every time I read message boards from teams, it's never because the other team was better than them. There was always some circumstance as to why their team lost the refs or that. So I, I hate those people. So I have to give Michigan a little credit. I, I think Michigan is a pretty damn good team. I think that their DBs are top notch and they held three really good receivers and we got a pretty good tight end in check. So I have to give Michigan a little credit as much as it pains me. That's a, it's a pretty damn good team and their D line is impressive and McCarthy's good enough to win. So I, you know, did the, the Huskies look great on offense and defense? No, they did not. But Michigan's pretty good, and you have to give them credit. So here, what do you think? Is that a good national uh, champion? I, 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 well, you're asking me to give Jim Harbaugh credit now. <laughs> well, take him out of it. I mean, it's, it's for I the, can't, the, the players. I don't want to take, take him out of it. <laughs> I don't know. Look, here, you think about national champions, you know? Yeah. Well, here are some facts. Okay. And... What led to these facts is up for debate and conversation. And I think what you're saying is much of what you're about to say, Mitch, I believe wasn't just Washington having a bad night or just having an off night. You know, you could just have a bad night or an off night. Yeah. Or you can have a bad night or an off night that was propelled by what the other team did. And I think what you're saying is the things that I'm about to mention was Michigan induced. Here's what I know. I know that after they fell behind, what was it, 17 to 3? early and they were just getting gashed in the running game and they were going right down the field. Here's what I know that Washington's defense from that point on, there were seven straight possessions, seven straight Michigan Wolverines possessions where Washington's defense did the job. You realize they went seven possessions and they scored a total of three points in seven possessions. Michigan did. And you know where those three points came off a turnover, right? Off the, the interception on the first yeah. play of the third quarter. Penix throws That's an interception. Right. I don't think Michigan even got a first down on that next series of plays, and they kicked a field goal. So seven possessions. Some games, by the way, seven possessions is a full game. So yeah. seven possessions is a long time for the Washington defense, especially a Washington defense that was like staring at embarrassment on national TV for the world to see after the first oh. quarter. For that defense to turn around and then essentially shut out Michigan for seven straight possessions. Now, let me come at it this way. If I had said to anybody that's listening to this, in the national championship, the Washington defense at, at one stretch over three quarters – is going to shut out Michigan over seven consecutive possessions and give the ball back to Penix and that offense, you would say to me, there is no way Washington's not winning that game. Zero way. If you give Penix the ball and the opposing team scores three points in seven possessions and you give it to him seven times, I don't care who the defense is, you would say there's no way Washington's losing that game, right? right. The offense is at least scoring 14, maybe 21 out of those seven possessions. 
Or as they normally do, they probably scored five out of the seven possessions on average. (laughs) Maybe not against Michigan's defense, but they're going to score 21, 28, 24, something over those seven possessions. And they got pretty much zilch over those seven possessions. So what was happening in those seven possessions? They were clearly not in sync. Penix missed about four or five throws, easy throws that he makes in his sleep to wide receivers and seams on little uh, whatever they call them. Dig routes, you had dropped passes, balls that were in Washington's hands, receivers' yep. hands, that the defender was able to knock it out of their hands after they had caught it. You had a swing pass to a running back for an easy first down that was a little three or four or five. I mean, does Michigan get credit for that? I mean, there was a critical moment in the game. It's like third and three. Penix sees a a running back coming out of the backfield. I think it's Nixon. He tosses it out to him, makes a perfect throw, six yards out into the flat. There's nothing but green except for maybe one defender. He's going to get the first down, and the ball goes right through his hands. Those are the types of things that I can't give Michigan's defense credit for, and those are the things that Washington did not do all year. They did stuff that they hadn't done. Penalties, the offensive line. The offensive line was, to me, the biggest disappointment of the night. Weingarten, 73, a couple of false starts, a huge holding call on that 32-yard completion. They finally got Odunze behind the defense, and they finally found him for 32 yards. They had all the momentum, and it comes back. It's like the Seahawks holding number 73 on the offense, and now instead of first and whatever near the – the red zone, it's first and 20 against the Michigan defense. And how many yep. times after a big play where they get a first down, do they fall start instead of being first and 10? Now after a big play, it's first and 15. That must have happened three, four, five different times, many of which, by the way, against Weingarten. So the offense to me just did things all night that they haven't done all season. Now you may turn to me and say 90% of that was forced by a really good pass rush, and a Michigan defense that made Washington uncomfortable. I wouldn't say 90%, but I I think there's some of that. I think Michigan hit, and I think when that guy gets the, you know, he he looks up to see where the defender is before he catches it. I think that plays into it as well. Really? Because he knows he's going to get So you are giving Michigan credit on the drop swing pass. On that one, I I don't know that I can guarantee it, but I think it's definitely in play. I do. I mean, I think when they set the tone like that, did you think Michigan was physical? I thought they hit the hell out of the Huskies. I thought I think Dylan Johnson's going to be in an ice bath for like three days. That guy put his body on the line. All right. So I just you know I I don't think that you could give Michigan credit for everything, but I do think that's a pretty. I think that defense is pretty solid. It's very. But all week long, when you heard how much praise Penix was getting after the Texas game, were you worried a little no. bit that not at all? You just thought he'd come out and do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I was just I, like, I'm gonna, oh, my God, where can he go from here? I'm going to air myself out right now. And and by the way, I think that when you listen to what I'm about to say, keep in mind, if you know me for a lot of years, then you know this. If, you, if you're new to us on this show, then maybe you don't know this. But no one is more pessimistic watching a football game about his favorite team <laughs> than me. Literally nobody. Okay. <laughs> All right. My brother wanted to literally move seats the other night in the Dolphins-Bills game because I walked into the stadium knowing the Bills were going to win, and I just mumbled to myself the entire game, even when the Dolphins were ahead, I mumbled to myself to him that this is not going to last. The Bills are going to win. The Bills are going to yeah. win. And he was so tired of the negativity that he was ready to leave my section. This is how I watch games. I am convinced 
in most cases that the team I'm rooting for will find a way to lose because that's just what's happened most of my life. So knowing that, I'm going to tell you how I felt about this game. I thought they were going to beat Texas easier than they did. And the moment that game ended, already knowing that Michigan had beaten Alabama, there was literally very little question in my mind Washington was going to win this game. I was so confident that they were going to win this game that as I watched the game, and this is the truth, this is the truth. It's not going to make me look very good or very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. At 17-3 to Michigan in the first quarter, I sat there bubbling with confidence. <laughs> really? Yes. And then when they scored at the end of the first half to make it 17-10, in my mind, it was Rocky and Clubber Lang. Remember the rematch with Clubber Lang the second sure. time around when Clubber Lang just kept on hitting them and hitting them and hitting them? And what did he say? What did he keep saying to him? You ain't so bad. Ain't you ain't so, so bad. bad. You ain't so bad. Yeah. They took he took every punch that Clubber Lang had. Yeah. And at halftime, I just said to myself, you know, this is I was absolutely superbly confident Washington was going to win that game, even at halftime at seven. And then I watched the whole second half, and I can't really pinpoint for you exactly when I realized, oops, this is why I enjoy being negative and pessimistic because I set myself up for disappointment. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I can't tell you exactly when it was, but I'm going to tell you this. Just about the entire second half, I thought it was a matter of time. You know, it was 20 to 13, and the defense kept getting the ball back for Penix, and I was like, to myself, I was like, the Michigan defensive dam is going to break. Adunze is going to get open. Somebody, I felt like Washington was going to come back and win that game the entire night. I I can't ever remember myself being so confident, and this is the reason why I will never be confident again with any team (laughs) that I ever root for again, because I get burned the one time. I swear to you, I had irrational confidence even as the game was progressing. I thought Washington was going to win. Is it because you've seen this before, maybe with this team, that they sort of hang around, the defense plays well enough in the fourth quarter, yeah, and, there was and a little Penix that. does Penix things? Yes, a little of that. The other thing I think that was playing a big part in my confidence, especially after the game started, I saw nothing from the Michigan pass offense mm. that worried yeah. me at all. Now, this guy, they say, is going to be a first-round draft choice uh, and a quarterback on Sundays, and maybe he's great, and maybe it's yeah. the Michigan pass Offense, it's the problem. Maybe it's the scheme or the coaching or whatever. But from the get-go, in my mind, the Michigan passing game was so limited that it was never really going to hurt Washington. So I think as I watched them have all kinds of success on the ground in that first quarter, my thought was at some point Washington's going to slow down the ground game. At some point, Penix is going to heat up because this offense never is kept down too long. And once that happens, once those two things happen, and they're both going to happen, Michigan's going to stop being successful on the ground, and Washington's going to rev up offensively, and Penix is going to get hot, and those receivers are going to get hot, and then Michigan's going to have to throw the ball, which I didn't think that they could do. I think the combination of those things had me sitting in this incredible false sense of security that they were going to win the effing game. I just, I really did. Most of the night, I thought that they were going to win the game. I don't know why. I had never been more excited to only be down seven at a halftime of a game. Like, I couldn't believe that they were only down seven. It felt like an ass kicking and a beating that first half. But but it felt, but didn't you feel at the end of the half that it was turning? Everything was turning. Because why? Washington's offense started to get on track late in the second quarter and Washington's defense. This is part of the seven 
the seven series, the possessions I'm talking about. Washington's defense, the second half of that second quarter, they were not getting beaten on the ground as much. And it just seemed like all the things that I was expecting to happen. And at half, all the announcers are saying, Washington needs to score this first possession. They're going to get the ball at the beginning of the third quarter, and they need to score. Of course, we know what happened on the very first play. Oh, he throws yeah. it to the sideline and gets picked off. I disagreed with the announcers that were saying that they had to score that first. Hmm. It was 17 to 10. And what I was thinking was they don't have to score because they're only a touchdown down. And now Michigan's offense is finding the sledding a little tougher. My, in my mind, if Washington went down and scored seven on that first possession of the third quarter, in my mind, it was over. The dogs were going to win. They were going to run away with the game if they scored seven on that possession. Unlevy-like, completely unmitch-like. <laughs> yeah. No okay. rational explanation for it. Well, I gave you the explanation. Maybe you say that is rational. I was bitching and screaming at the defense in the first quarter like I have done the previous 14 games. Right. It feels like every game I'm always yelling about this defense has got awful. Oh, and then they just win every game. And I, I agree with you that it did feel like it was starting to turn a little bit. The defense kind of figured it out, made some adjustments, and they were going to play totally. as well as they had to for Penix to score 31 or 35. At some point, he was going to heat up. He, he's never had four bad quarters. I mean, maybe he has, but you know what I mean. For the most part, you're not going to keep that guy down for four quarters, but just never really got hot, No, did he? no. And yeah, again, it was weird. It might have been Michigan. It yeah. may have just been an off night. The penalties, the drops, Michigan's pretty good. It could be a lot of things, and he was off. Did McCarthy ever really do anything except for maybe the run, the big run on third down? Yeah, from, that was a killer. That was a killer, and I think he hit a yeah. guy in a crossing play when they were seven up, and Washington had failed to tie the game or score like in four or five possessions in a row, and then finally the dam broke, and Michigan hit a, a crossing play across the middle and went down and scored that touchdown to go up 14. Yes, but... I didn't feel like McCarthy did anything that was all that impressive except for a play here and a play there. But yeah, I guess he didn't yeah. have to. I guess his defense, uh, you know, his defense and running game That's ruled right. the day. And he's the he's the national champion quarterback. And speaking of quarterbacks, the season's over. We all admire this unit. We're going to remember this University of Washington team for a long, long time. We're going to remember Michael Penix. We're going to remember Kalen DeBoer. We're going to remember Roma Dunze. We're going to remember these guys. For a long, long time. Yep. But, you know, the post-Penix, post-Adunze, maybe even post-Grubb, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, that era starts right now. And I, I don't know that I would say that I am equally interested in next year's team as I was going in, because going in, I think we all thought, oh, my God, this could be yeah. a very special team. And as it turns out, they went yeah. 14, they, they won 14 games in a row to get to the national championship game <laughs> yeah. of college football. But I am I'm going to be captivated by the 2024 University of Washington for a lot of reasons. Go on. Be, well, I've been asking myself for two years the question that I really didn't want to know the answer to for a, a couple years. But now I think I'm ready. How much of the offensive explosion from a passing game perspective is about number nine and is about mm. number one? Or how much of it is about an incredible system that Kalen DeBoer brought from Fresno State and before that, Indiana and Ryan Grubb and he are wizards at getting guys open. Yep. How much of this is about the personnel and how much of this is about the system? Well, next year, the 2024 season... You get Will Rogers 
from Mississippi State, a former Mike Leach quarterback, wide open quarterback who threw for a lot of yards in the SEC, but he's not Michael Penix. Yeah. And you don't have a Dunsay. You got the, the best wide receiver coming in from Cal. And you probably yeah. have maybe Polk back. I don't know if Polk's coming back, but maybe McMillan comes back. So you're going to have capable receivers. You're going to have capable tight ends. And we find out the answer to the question. How much of it is the system? How much of it was a special quarterback, a special wide receiver or set of wide receivers, and this synergy Mm. between the quarterback, wide receiver, and coaching staff? We find out the answer. And by the way, October the 5th, where are you going to be? Probably home on my couch. Where am I going to be? You know what you're going to be watching on October the 5th? What's that? Michigan at Washington in the Big Ten. Ooh, that's right. The Let's rematch. go get them. Let's I, I, get kicked their ass. Michigan and Washington at Husky Stadium on October the 5th in the rematch. So Ain't going to be 70% Michigan fans in that stadium, will it? Well, judging from the Seahawks-Steelers game, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Anything's possible, I guess. <laughs> All right, three interviews, including Rick Neuheisel picking up the pieces from the Washington loss to Michigan, plus the Seahawks' no table and Peter King, and then other stuff which will be headlined by Our Thoughts about the Seattle Seahawks. As they say, tis the season, fireplace season, Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, John? I'd imagine everyone on your team over there is jolly this time of year. Yes, they are, and they're really busy. We're uh, <laughs> we're over there getting everybody stocked up for the season, not only for installation stockups, but also for uh, product stockups. So we're ready to go and serve people here in the Northwest. And you also deal with a lot of repairs. We don't talk about repairs that often when you visit the show. Talk to us about that. Yeah, either way, if tune up a fireplace, repair a fireplace, or if you need us to replace it, just give us a call. Our unit that Fireside installed has been working overtime here at the house. What's the timetable in the heart of these winter months from Fireside Home Solutions, soup to nuts? We're doing great right now. We have uh, installers ready to go. We have product ready to go. So anywhere between two and three weeks, we can get a brand new fireplace put in your house. Wow. First, the magnificent remodel in Bellevue. Now, what am I hearing about adding the Spokane market to the team? Yep, we just opened up our Spokane market. We're about three months uh, new to that market. We're going to be doing the same things we do over here in the Northwest. Everything from the top to the bottom, installation, service. Looking forward to serving that community. When do you think the showroom will open? We're hoping sometime here in March and April. We're going to okay. go over and do some yep. layouts. So, yep, we'll be excited. I think Mark Few needs to treat himself in Spokane to some cozy warmth after his cold trip to Montlake a few weeks ago. So south to Portland and now east to Spokane, fireplaces, gas, electric, wood-burning, garage doors. Begin your search with a great sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. scored the touchdown in the first possession back in the game and he's loose again Edwards off and running welcome back Donovan Edwards 46 yards Penix has time watches touchdown Jalen McMillan there is a flag down Bora steps back breaks a tackle touchdown Michigan
Well, 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 episode 270. Here's the segment brought to you by Taco Time Northwest. We all love Taco Time Northwest. We all love the corn chowder. We all love the University of Washington. But on Monday night in Houston, Texas, I guess the clock struck midnight. An old Cinderella, Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix. Here's the man who walked us through the entire season and was at the stadium on Monday night as well. Rick Neuheisel to tell us what happened. What in the heck happened? Did it Was it Michigan playing great? Was it Washington not its normal self? Did one have to do with the other? Where do you... Where do you come down on this? I think there were two facets of the game where Michigan played really well. One was in their running game. They had over 300 yards rushing, 174 of it in the first quarter, Mitch. So they, like a boxer, came out and you know delivered a couple of haymakers that uh, had the Huskies reeling. But the Huskies kind of caught themselves and were fantastic on third down defensively. The Wolverines ended up one of 10, and that was that scramble by J.J. McCarthy from off the goal line. Right. They were they were really good on third down and kept the team in the game. And then the other piece of this puzzle was defensively because, listen, we saw Michigan go and sack Jalen Milrow for Alabama six times. They got to Penix once. This was a nice job. And it, I, you could tell that Michigan had great respect for the Washington offensive line because there wasn't a bunch of blitzing. This was a great job in the secondary. They were brilliant. The three receivers, Odunze, McMillan, Polk, against Texas had 17 catches for 305. They had 15 catches tonight. Right. For 157. Half. They, they, they just weren't getting the big play. Explosives. I said at the outset of the college football playoff, Michigan was the least likely to win the game, win the championship, because I didn't believe they were explosive enough offensively. And yet they out-explosived Alabama, who, you know, Milrow came in as the third highest uh, yards per uh, attempt quarterback in the country, and they out-explosived Washington. Six to one. Only one explosive play tonight for the Washington Huskies. And if I'm sitting here trying to calculate what Kalen DeBoer is thinking and what he would say he wished he would have done differently, there are going to be a variety of things. Now, the one thing that I would have wished he had done differently is not after the Sugar Bowl travel back to Seattle. Really? I, I would have gone straight to Houston. Really? I, I, think you, I think he lost a day. I think he lost a day and obviously there's recuperation and I just think the plan wasn't nearly as honed as it might've been had you had the extra day. And he, listen, he's going to get in front of a microphone when he gets back to Seattle and say that's hogwash and all that kind of stuff. I just think for the team to have an extra day of rest given you, this was a seven day turnaround, which was the shortest in college football playoff only matched one other time, which was the other game 26, 23 between Alabama and Georgia, which was an under game. Yeah. You know, the points scored. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and a lot of this was because you had to go for it on fourth down at the end. When I think back to the game on Monday night, uh, I said this to my partner, Scott Soden, I'll say it to you. If before the game, somebody would have come up to me and said, Mitch, the Washington Huskies, 
after a slow start defensively against the run, we're going to go seven possessions from about the beginning of the second quarter to midway through the fourth quarter. The Washington defense essentially shut them out, shut Michigan out. The only three points that Michigan got during that time the pick at the beginning of the half was the offense's fault. And I yeah. don't even I don't even think they got a first down before they kicked no. the field goal there. So that's exactly right. So Washington's defense, seven consecutive possessions, punt, 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 turnover on downs, turnover on downs, punt, 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 and the field goal. If you would have told me before the game, they're going to give the defense is going to give Penix the ball back seven straight times without giving up essentially any points, I would say there's no way Washington doesn't win this game because. In those seven possessions that the offense gets the ball, he's going to score, even against Michigan's defense, 17, 20, 20, something along those lines of those seven possessions. But as you said at the top, and this is what I'm trying to get my arms around, I think everybody in Seattle is, Penix wasn't himself. He missed throws. Wide receivers dropped balls. A running back on a swing pass out of the backfield that's an automatic first down just blatantly dropped. They did things that they never did all year. And what I'm trying to figure out is, do we need to give Khaki Pants and his defense the credit for that? Or was just is it one of those nights that we've all seen, we've all had in our lives, that we just weren't in sync? We're out of rhythm. We were out of sorts. It wasn't our night. That's an easy place to land. It puts no blame on anybody. It just was one of those evenings where it just didn't go well. I don't think coaches can go there. I think coaches have to look and say, what will I do differently if given the same opportunity? Uh, And Kalen DeBoer was asked about the travel, and he said there's pros and cons to both. Now, the reason he decided to go back was because there were a bunch of kids that were starting school. When, uh, the, the January 3rd was the start of uh, the winter quarter, and he wanted to acclimate those guys with the team and make sure that they knew we were all here together and so forth. Mm-hmm. But to me, and the NFL is adamant about this, when they're in one place, they stay there if they're going to be for another week because that rest is so critical. And whether the refs had anything to do tonight, I mean, they look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at media day on Saturday morning, but that means they were up early because we know they flew on Friday. And the coaches that flew with it, you know, stayed back to get the game plan all. It just was a little off. And for whatever reason, that little off resulted in uh, a Michigan national championship. If they played again in a week, everybody rested, everybody comes back, everybody healthy, they just re rack it and go. Would you pick Michigan based on what you saw on Monday night, or would you still think Washington would win the game? I think Washington can win the game, but based on the defense, the secondary that I saw tonight, and based on uh, what Michigan did on that offensive line, I just think that travels well, and Michigan probably wins seven of the ten games that they'd play, based on what I saw tonight. I could not believe, because there were obvious times when Adunze was lined up as a single receiver and it was one-on-one. There was no safety. There was not going to be no safety. And twice he threw it to him and and couldn't come close to a completion. And I saw over and over this year, 
in inclement conditions, him hit Ondunze and make play after play after play. And tonight they could not get it done. Even when the defense told them, you've got this opportunity. Well, on the one big play, I think it was fourth down early in the game. He Ondunze's yeah. wide open. Wide open. Wide open. And Penix makes that, he could close his eyes and make that completion. Yes, but it, it, it was shocking to me that, that the ball was just, they were not in sync. It was fascinating uh, study, and and I know they're going to go over it because they hope to be in this situation again someday. In addition to Kalen DeBoer's decision not to go straight to the game in Houston, do you have any other questions? Do you have any other criticisms of the game plan? I mean, how do you figure that Michigan's going to come out? I know they're a good running team, but no one saw them coming out like that. They were averaging 15, 20 yards a carry for two or three possessions. Washington's defense wasn't even in the game. I'm not sure how many of the opening, you know, we all have scripts, right? Somewhere between 12 and 15 plays that we want to open a game with. At least seven in a row to begin the game started with a shift and then a motion. And I think probably because we saw that in the Alabama game that Washington was ready for that. It didn't look like a lot of miscommunication defensively, but what they were not prepared for were the blocks down the field by this Michigan front that basically just knocked uh, secondary players out of their respective gap fits and created huge chunks of yardage. As I said, six explosive plays, which are characterized by 20 yard plays or more, four of those were runs for Michigan. Uh, Corum had a 50 plus run. Edwards had two 40 plus yard runs. And and, uh, McCarthy had the 20 yard run uh, late in the game. So it just is amazing to me that they were able to do that. But I while they look like Balboa against Creed early in the match, I thought the Husky defense sure. responded and sure. came roaring back and, and got back in. And there was never a time. And the reason why I sat around, I just explained this in our opening segment, that and I'm I'm the most negative Nelly ever when I'm watching a team that I'm rooting for. I'm convinced before the game start my team's gonna lose. <laughs> and I just sit there and I wait for my team to always lose. But in this case, I, I felt differently. I just felt I was I was super confident, especially when I saw them start to buckle down on the run in the second quarter. I saw the game changing, and I tell you, I think my confidence was that never from the beginning did I think Michigan's pass game for everything that everybody says about JJ McCarthy, including you and and right. and, and Randy Mueller is on with us every week. Everybody tells me how good this kid is, and maybe he's going to be great. Maybe he's going to be an NFL player. Maybe he's going to be a first rounder. But there was never a time on Monday Night Rick that I ever thought the pass game could hurt Washington. In my mind, I was like, okay, yes, it's seventeen to three. Washington is going to make adjustments on the run defense. Michigan's pass offense is not going to hurt them. And once they start buckling down on the run game, Penix will get going. At some point, those receivers will get going. I just sat there, I tell you, until midway through the fourth quarter, I thought Washington was going to come back and win the game. Here's where I was. I was sitting next to my wife. I was with the media yeah, and up in the rafters and doing the pregame show. I had bought tickets. I said, honey, I'm going to come sit with you during the game. Went down there. She had a beautiful purple sweater on, you know, just, you know, we were back in the old days. She looked like the Husky first lady again. Right. And we were having a blast watching the game. 
And I said, come on, let's go up. And we were going to go over and see one of the young student workers that worked in our office actually babysat for us in at Washington. Really? Uh, Aaron Corelli, we were going to go see her. And then I was going to, we were going to come back to our seats. Well, on the way there, I see Marcus Tuyasasopo. Oh. So now when Marcus and I are, you know, reminiscing and having a great time and, uh, you know, Husky fans were very friendly. It was really kind of fun, but I'm late getting back. And I look up at the television set. And I see that Michigan's got the ball. Blake Corum's running the ball with 13 and change. And I go, wait a minute. The Huskies were supposed to get the ball here to start the second half. That's the What's game. happened? Yeah. And I find yeah. out that Penix has thrown a pick. Yeah. I said, this is, they had so many chances to crawl back into this game. Now they would then make it 20 to 13. And had three and or four were, shots And they at got yeah. three or four chances and again could, to come could, down the oh, field. God. You mentioned the Nixon dropped swing oh, pass. Oh. You mentioned the holding call on the deep ball to Odunze. Oh. I'm like, gosh almighty, we just can't get out of our own way here. And uh, eventually the dam broke. We just couldn't do not, it anymore. Not only the holding call on the offensive line on the long pass to Adunze, but how many times did Washington get a first down offensively and seemingly have a little momentum, move the chains, and they get a Five false start, and it's first yep. and 15. Yeah, It must have happened two or three times. They go from first and 10 to first and 15, and now they're behind the chains again. Now, it's interesting. I want to go back to something that you said because – you and Kirk Herbstreet, you probably didn't watch the broadcast, so you no. and Herbstreet would actually disagree on this because you talked about you talked about how Michigan only sacked Penix one time and they sacked Alabama six times. He was showing, ABC was showing constant pressure, even though they didn't sack. They were moving Penix around. They were making him uncomfortable. They were beating the offensive line with four rushers. They didn't need to blitz. And it seemed to Herbstreet anyway that Penix was – delivering balls off his back foot. He was uncomfortable. He's not able to step into throws, and that's maybe uh, a reason why he wasn't as accurate on Monday night. Fair, but go back and look at the Texas film and tell me he didn't have to move in that game. He did. He had to move all over the place. Byron Murphy was crashing the party all the time in the pocket. Right. And and he still found ways. This was not an abnormal amount of pressure in a pocket. It was Michigan's front four. They rarely came with extra. And when they did, he could see it. And when you can see it, that's when I would say a Dunze was there as a one-on-one guy. Yeah. How are we not able to signal him and get a play thrown, whether it's a back shoulder or the downfield throw that we've seen so often over the course of the season? But anyway, you know, as you sit and hope for things, you just, I said, here's a Dunze one-on-one, take him. This is the play, right? He gets an outside release and I'm waiting for that ball to, and it's overthrown. I, it's just, they didn't have it tonight. Whatever it was, credit Michigan and the energy expended on their defensive side, credit nerves, who knows? It just didn't happen, and it didn't materialize in the way it needed to for the Huskies to capture a crown. Taco Time Northwest and their great chicken corn chowder present uh, Rick Neuheisel. So, so terrific over the course of the entire season. Before I let you run. Let's take a little snapshot of what's to come in Washington football because as of the end of that game on Monday night, the post-Michael Penix era begins. Right. The post-Roma Dunze era begins. Probably the post-Ryan Grubb era begins if he gets a job elsewhere. 
We've got what's the guy's name? Will Rogers coming in from from Mississippi from State. Mississippi State. They've got the mm-hmm. best. Calif- Never met a man he didn't like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they've got they've got the best receiver from Cal, a junior or senior that's coming in to help their wide receiving core. And we finally get the answer to the question that a lot of us have wondered, but we didn't want to really get the answer for a while. Is it a special quarterback, a special wide receiver? and their synergy with the coaching staff and the offensive scheme that makes this thing so special? Or is it some special sauce, some special formula that DeBoer has that's going to make Will Rogers, maybe not Michael Penix, but Will Rogers is going to go in there and throw for well over 4,000 yards, and they're going to be a super dynamic offense without Penix and Adunze. Schematically, it is a very uh, productive offense. Uh, watching it tonight, uh, you know, the first time down in the red zone, they were trying to bring a Dunze over, and he went under instead of over, and Penix threw the ball like he was going to go over the top of the safety from the other side. But again, I'm looking at it. I'm going, they're singled on the other side. Just throw a route to Polk, you know, just find the guy who's singled yeah you can see and and i think that's going to be the answer at at some point they're going to get to a place where they can see where the single is and take him uh they're it's a wide receiver friendly offense which means both transfer receivers and freshman high school receivers will want to be a part of it will rogers is an accomplished quarterback it was not the kind of year he looked forward to by trying to remain loyal to his alma mater there at mississippi state but he'll be i've met the kid he was at media day for the sec i think he's charming you're going to love him uh and he's can play the position well so i think it's a great fit i know they've got a young freshman there that they're really excited about but uh he'll be fine you know, delaying his beginning uh, stages of his career there at the Huskies watching Will Rogers for one more season. So I think all's well. And Kalen DeBoer is going to get a big contract. He's going to uh, feel good about staying there. I think there's no reason for any for anything other than optimism as the Huskies begin their sojourn into the Big Ten. And on October 5th. Yes. October fifth, right yeah. there. I'm I'm assuming that you'll be on some you know <laughs> big time yacht out there sailgating. They welcome the Michigan Wolverines I got to a the uh, Husky Stadium. Yes. And the question I have for you. No, my question is for you, and you're going to ask me the same question. We're going to see. I, I, I want to know. Do I, I want to know who's coaching Michigan? To receive. <laughs> I want to know who's going to be coaching Michigan in that game against Washington October the 5th? It's a beautiful question. It's the one I had ready for you. I think it's going to be Sharon Moore. I think uh, the fact that he was the man in charge so often, given uh, the craziness of the suspensions, uh, both at the beginning and at the end of the regular season, I think Sharon Moore gets the chance. I think Jed Fish at Arizona will be interested in the job. But I, but I think at the end of the day, Sharon Moore gets the job and Jim will be in the NFL. And I will add to that 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 October the 5th game will be an elimination game of sorts in the Big Ten to get into the Final Four where Kyle McCord will be playing in the Final Four of college <laughs> football. Well, actually, it's not Final Four. It's uh, Final oh. one. How many are we going to go? 12? We're going 12. We're Final 12. Oh, Kyle McCord with the uh, Harvard of Central New York.
Neil Diamond once wrote a song, <laughs> I'm a Believer. <laughs> Mitch Levy is singing it at the top uh, of his lungs. Rick Neuheisel, thank you so much for all that you've done for me over the years. Thank you so much for these great weekly visits. I have so much fun. Our audience really responds. It resonates with them. They love your appearances, not only on our show, but all the other shows that you do locally. Have a great uh, offseason of college football, and please promise me, that if Mitch Unfiltered continues, Rick Neuheisel on Mitch Unfiltered. I would continue. be disappointed if I weren't asked <laughs> to be back. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Mitch. You're Thank a great you. friend. You do a great job. And uh, I'm sorry the Huskies didn't quite get to the uh, oh, well. to the mountaintop, but they could see it and what a run it was. Thank you, Rick. All right, my friend. Take care. Happy New Year. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand there's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that trade at attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down? 1% I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31... I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. (laughs) So you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Smith in the pocket, floats it wide open. Will Disley, he'll walk in for a Seattle touchdown. Got a block. Sideline all the way for a touchdown. Smith going up top for Rocket in the end zone, drops it in for the touchdown. 
I love this this team, and and I love the way that these guys play. And and uh, I've told you that for such a long time that they continue to keep coming back. They continue to keep believing. Well, the Hawks season is over earlier than people in the Northwest would have liked. It's the Seahawks note table on this episode 270 presented by the Chicken Corn Chowder at Taco Time Northwest. The limited time offer of the Chicken Corn Chowder extended a stay of execution, as Brady says, till the end of January. Brady and Brian are back with us. The Seahawks are 9-8 and eight on the outside looking in to the playoffs. And I typically would begin with why did the Seahawks beat the Cardinals question for Brady, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going off the board. I'm going right to Brian, and I want to get something straight, Brian. Hawk blogger Brian Nemhauser, you look into that Zoom and you tell me, as a long-suffering sports fan, 50 years I'm watching sports, are you telling me that had the Green Bay Packers lost to the Chicago Bears that Matt Prater would have missed both of those field goals (laughs) and the Seahawks would have won that game exactly the same way as they did. Are you looking into Zoom and telling me the game would have gone exactly the way or had we needed that game, Prater makes one of the two field goals? I think that's a valid question, (laughs) Mitch. The reason I think it's not as likely that those were intentional misses is because they went for that kooky touchdown on the field goal. Like they, 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 they had other ways to not play to win than to force Prater to miss field goals. Where it could have been different is I don't know if Pete Carroll would have had the cojones to go, go for, for two, two points on the, no the touchdown. So that's that's where I think the game script could have been different. But I, I do think I, I did wonder about Prater missing. See, two see you misinterpreted my question, Brian. I actually okay. I actually wasn't asking whether we think that Matt Prater missed the field goals on purpose. Ah. I was I was actually just asking about voodoo karma. Are you telling me? that we would have gotten that kind of a break. You, you realize that to get into the playoffs, the guy would just miss two, one of which was like a chip shot, and the Seahawks are going to back into the playoffs on two missed field goals? Or does just the, the karma of sports mean that had the Packers lost, the Seahawks would have lost that game? To use your parlance, I don't know if I can dance with you on that one because Pete Carroll has backed into all sorts of things over the last decade. So uh, nothing's, you know, it would have been painful. That's the weirdest thing is it would have been painful as a just died in the wool Seahawks fan to watch them play another game. I did not want to watch them in the playoffs. I did not want to watch this team play a single more a single additional snap. So, so you I'm were cheering against. Okay. Him. You were cheering with, against. I cheer from the, the win, t- but I'm okay how, with the way it How about out. when it got to the two-point conversion? Were you cheering for them to convert the two-point conversion or not, Brian? Honest. Now. Absolutely. I certainly didn't want them to do an overtime if they'd gone for one. And <laughs> no, so, no, no, yeah, no. But they could have missed I it. To, I wanted to, you wanted to see them I've, win. I've tried that before where okay. like my head can tell me the Seahawks right. franchise is better off losing that game. hundred percent. Right. They were better off losing that game, but I can't, I will always cheer for the Seahawks. I can't help myself. Okay. Brady has uh, looked in the mirror. He's practiced with his toothbrush, the answer to the question. So we'll let him, we'll let him go. Why did the Seahawks beat the Cardinals on Sunday in Arizona, in Glendale, Arizona, in front of your eyes, ESPN.com, Brady Henderson. Well, it, 
helped that Arizona missed two pretty makeable <laughs> field goals from a kicker who, you know, early in that game, I think when Matt Prater made his first field goal, they flashed this giant, you know, note on the on the big screen saying it was his 400th career field goal. So this is no like Blair Walsh. Sorry, Blair Walsh did not need to catch a stray there. <laughs> this was no like slouch, you know, young kicker. This is a guy who's been around for a long time and he missed no, not I wouldn't call him chip shots. Certainly not the last one, but uh, two field goals that he probably would tell you he should make. And so, I mean, the, the Seahawks played pretty crappy for 57 minutes of that game, or, or 55, whatever it was, and then they turned it on at the end. I know they didn't have any penalties, but I mean, they just got ran over uh, in again, the run game again. Yeah, they just yeah. Would, and they did come to play. I don't think the effort or like intensity was an issue, but they just looked like a bad team because they are a bad team. And uh, I agree with Brian. They did not deserve to be in the playoffs. I, I would have happily covered that game because it's my job. I'm not a fan, as, as you know. guys know. Yeah, but this was not a team that was going to do anything in the playoffs. So let's not bury the lead. Let's go right to what the action is. And that is the future of Pete Carroll. Brady, he said, I think all of us have seen by now. He said it on radio. He said it after the game to you guys in Arizona. I want to be back, and I expect to be back. Is there any reason in your estimation for any of us to think there's a chance he won't be back as the coach of the Seahawks? It looks pretty likely that he's going to be back. And and obviously him wanting to be back is only one half of that. That Jody Allen has to want him back as well. And and she's, you know, the ultimate decision maker on this. You know, typically when a coach is fired, that happens the day after. And so, you know, at time of recording, nothing has happened there. And so I, I think he's safe in that regard. You know, he did his answer when he was asked if he expects to be back. Uh, post game Sunday, he said, "At this point, I do." And and you know the the qualifier at this point sort of, you know, left some room for interpretation. But um, I think at the very least, he shot down any notion that he was going to walk away. And you are still very clear headed, Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger. The best interests of this team would be served if there was a new leader at the top. I think there's no question, and, and I think Brady's right that it certainly seems likely that Pete's coming back. I will offer and and Brady check me on this Mitch to you too typically the sequence of events is he'll do his press conference after the game and then you know this morning thing and then he and will meet with Jody Allen at some point Burt Cold at some point this week and there has been moments where Pete Carroll has said one thing or another coach a Jim Mora whoever has said one thing and then a few days later, the announcement's made. So I don't think we know for certain that Pete Carroll's coming back. And there is an oper- there is a potential that they'll say this isn't good enough. But I think if you're putting odds, betting odds on it, you have yeah. to assume. He's I think the back. last time that there was a coaching change, Brady, correct me if I'm wrong. Jim Mora was actually delivering his remarks midweek after the last game, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. He was talking to the media all while. Todd Lywicki was in Los Angeles. Sealing the deal. Moore is telling everybody what to expect next year and what he's going to do next year while Lywicki is hiring Pete Carroll in Los Angeles at the very same time. Something like that, right? Yeah, I believe that's how it was. There was uh, some overlap, as, yeah. as uh, <laughs> if, you, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I, I, 
that's a good point that we don't know. And, and look, this is not a, an ownership group that I don't know if we can say that they're going to operate the same way that every other owner does. You know, every other owner is going to make that decision uh, on Monday, but that doesn't necessarily okay. mean that uh, they will. So who knows? But I, I, it does seem like Carol is safe. Now, Brady, I don't want you to feel like I'm playing favorites with Brian because you guys are like both of my sons. You know, they're your equals in my eyes. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, do you want to answer the question that I asked, Brian? Should the Seahawks, would the Seahawks' best interests be served with a new head football coach next year? Or would you prefer me not to ask you that question as the highfalutin ESPN.com? What, what, what's this notion that like I can't, that question is untouchable? I don't know. Me. You just, I don't want to put you on a spot. That you're very makes fragile. You, you are. You're, I mean, you're always late and fragile. So... <laughs> What, yeah, what, what well, kind of, I'll, I'll own the late part, but um, I wouldn't consider myself fragile. No, I, I will happily answer that question. Yes. I, I think that what you can't do is run it back with the exact same exact same coaching staff, exact same structure. I think something significant has to change, even if it's not Pete Carroll at, at the top. I do wonder if it's time for Carroll to give up final say in personnel choices. And, and look, this is not the same as you know Mike Holmgren you know, when he was the GM and he, he was, I think, running the show more so than Carol is. Carol isn't running the personnel department. He just has final say. But I do wonder if it is time for him to relinquish that. How exactly would that work? What what would the dynamic be with him and Schneider there? Would, could they work through that awkwardness of that? I think that's a question. And I just don't know how you can run it back with the same two coordinators after how much this defense has underachieved the last couple years, uh, especially against the run. Pete Carroll is, what do we know about Pete Carroll as a coach? The, the, the essence of Pete Carroll as a coach and his kind of coaching style is he wants to run the ball and, play and he defense. wants to play tough defense. And this team has done neither for the last few years. Okay, he started his spiel, Brian, with I'll answer that question. I'm going to ask you, does Brady think there should be a change at head coach or not after listening to that that beautiful soliloquy. <laughs> See, I don't know that he really did answer the question. I know he said something's got to change. I think he stopped short. I think he so stopped why, short. So why do you say you're not fragile? You're obviously fragile, Brady. Why don't you answer the damn question? Answer the question, McEnroe. Come on, answer the question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a strong opinion <laughs> one way or another. Well, my my strong opinion is that if Carroll is back, it can't be under the exact same format. One thing I'll, I'll just, I might be misremembering on this, but I thought that when Pete and John signed their newest contract extensions, that the stipulation in John's contract was in this latest version that he got control. He got final say over personnel. I thought that was a new, I might I be misremembering, that. but I thought that that was part of the I know it was talked change. about. I, don't, I, I think don't a lot of that. I think a lot of us talked about that, Brian, but I don't ever recall that becoming official. I'll, I'll do some digging, see if, yeah. if I can find anything. Okay. But in I, any event, I don't doubt that he would want that. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt so that he I. would, he would want, very much I want, want that, I want, but I don't think that is the case. I want what? control over <laughs> offensive play calling. I don't know that that's the case. Go ahead, Brian. I mean, look, tell me why. I want to sound like Mitch here, which is like, you don't want to do that. If anything, you don't want to sound like Mitch. Why, right? why, but, why, what's wrong with Mitch? <laughs> I'm just throwing some strange away. Man. Like, if you, me and if Blair you Walsh go just out, got thrown out of the bus. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I couldn't help it. If, if you go out and replace offensive coaches and defensive coaches once, and then you get some traction, fine. If you do it twice, 
and it doesn't work. If you do it three times, four times, and it doesn't work on either side of the ball, at what point is it not about, like, you can't trust the person who's doing the hiring. You can't trust the person who's making those evaluations. And you can't trust the person who is setting the direction that then is influencing personnel decisions for the scouting department. Pete Carroll and John Schneider said at their closing press conference at the end of last year, we know where we have to get better. We have to get better in the trenches. We know we have to be able to run the ball. We know we have to be able to stop the run. At the beginning of the season, Jaron Reed stood in front of all of us at the press conference. Yes. We will not yes. be at the bottom of yeah, the league in run like defense. Mitch Levy right now. They yes. went backwards. Oh. I, I follow Brady Henderson on Twitter. He's a good Me follower too. if you didn't know. Yeah. And he tweeted out. They went backwards in run defense in both major uh, categories there. They're not in a better position. And guys, last thing, and then I'll stop my rant. I went and looked. The Seahawks offensive line in PFF, the BFF. Yes. What were their grades? The top graded offensive line. The top graded offensive line out of 200 qualifying offensive linemen was Charles Cross at 73rd. They, the rest of them are 127, 139, 149, wow. 150, 165, 172, 174. This is an atrociously bad, embarrassing offensive line. I'm sick of watching this for a decade. We need change. Let me uh, throw a secondary point. No fragility there, by the way. Well, no. See, you answer the question. We got Brady, who's not, <laughs> who's giving us half answers like fire the, the coordinators. Let me ask He's you, running Brady. For office. Brady, let me ask you about firing the coordinators. What coordinator wants to come here now? What great offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator is going to sign on when Pete Carroll's the oldest coach in the NFL? He's holding on for dear life. The franchise is about to be sold. And when a new owner comes in, billionaire owner, they're going to want their own new coaching. If I'm a, if I'm a highly thought of coordinator, why would I ever go to the situation that the Seahawks have at the current moment. Well, I, I think the other way to look at that. I'm going to be there for Carroll, one year and then I'm going to get blown out because somebody or else the, is going to come in. The flip side is that Pete Carroll is 72 years old and there's seemingly this annual question of how much longer he's going to want to coach. And that could be uh, some prospective coordinator could look at that as an opportunity nah. to be the heir apparent. Now, I, I have always enough. thought that yeah. when you have a, a defensive head coach like Pete Carroll, and maybe the same is true for prospective offensive coordinators playing under an offensive-minded head coach, but I think it's always going to be hard for Pete Carroll to lure some big-name defensive coordinator in who is well-established in the NFL and would want to run his own, de- like Vic Fangio. There's no way Carroll would ever hire Vic Fangio because there's no way Vic Fangio would ever want to come in and take orders from a fellow defensive coach like Vic Fangio is going to want to run his own scheme. So unless Pete Carroll and and maybe Carroll would be willing to, because he's not running the same defense he ran. They're not running the Legion of boom defense anymore. So maybe Carroll would be open to just totally giving free reign, but I just kind of have a hard time seeing that. And so it, it always seems like they are going to be limited in the kind of defensive coach that they can hire. Now, maybe you could hire Dan Quinn. Now, yes. he wouldn't want to be the coordinator, but, you know, somebody like that who has been who has been in that system before. But I just I think that could be a roadblock to some pretty good candidates. I, I'm with Brian. I think change needs to be made. I think it needs to start at the top. I think, you know, Brian centered and, and rightfully so on the offensive line there in his latest spiel. I'll just say what everybody else is thinking is that every head coach in the NFL comes with a background. They either come with an offensive or defensive background. And whatever your background is, 
you better be good on that side of the ball, at least at some point. You cannot have seven or eight straight years of being lousy on the side of the ball that you specialize in. And how many years are we watching a bad defense, either against the pass or against the run? How many years are we being told to be excited after training camp that this is going to change and it's going to get better? It's too long now. He's had plenty of opportunity to have a good, solid defense since the Legion of Boom, and it's never came to fruition, no matter what guys that they've gotten in free agency draft and acquired by trade. It, that, that is, I think, one of the more damning aspects of this is that they have tried so many different things. I mean, he's fired two different coordinators since Dan Quinn left uh, after that second Super Bowl. He's revamped the scheme. They've made huge, you know, significant trades for big name players, Clowney, Sheldon Richardson, uh, other guys like that. Jamal Adams was the, the biggest one of those trades. And and so it, it's almost like what more can you, what other big move can you make uh, that would get you over the top? Now, going back to the point on Carroll, and I'll try to give you a stronger answer because my last answer was not strong it enough. Was fragile. The reason I'm, I'm reluctant to say that they should fire Pete Carroll is because I think so much of a head coach is aside from the X's and O's, it's like leadership. And so much of that position is connecting with players, getting your message across and getting players to buy in. And I still think that he does that really well. And I see these other, you know, I see other teams hire coordinator, you know, the hotshot coordinator du jour. And I see these guys in press conferences and they just have no personality. And I cannot imagine them standing up in front of a room and like commanding a group of 53 players. So but the other side of that is a big part of job as a head coach is to put the right people in place coordinator wise. And he just hasn't done that. All right. Let me ch- uh, let me check some things off the list. Cigars. I, I didn't <laughs> I never expected uh, when we started the uh, Seahawks note table back in September that we'd be talking cigars. But I guess we got to talk cigars. Is this a story or a non-story, Brian Nemauser? Should we be irritated, angry, frustrated or not worried at all that they were smoking cigars in the locker room after the game. Well, after giving Brady so much crap, let me, let, let me commend Brady on just reporting the facts and not editorializing or implying anything from said facts. He did his job as a reporter should. What are we talking Unlike about? Unlike some other folks on the cigars? Um, on, on the cigars? On the cigars? I don't know yes. what he did. What did he do so well? I don't know. I don't. He I don't just, know. he literally said exactly what was happening. Uh, there were some other reporters that made some pretty clear implications uh, about the context of, hey, they're oh. celebrating that, that they did not make the playoffs. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And right. and uh, that's what Julian Love responded to, by the way, on there. I don't I don't think it's much of a story. I think it was not the smartest thing. Uh, it's not a good look. And I think that it while it is a valid social custom to celebrate the birth of your kid with cigars with your buddies. And I get that uh, even players on their own team didn't love the look of it and misinterpreted what was going on. So. Not a big story, unfortunate, but also pretty emblematic of just this this team. As much as Pete Carroll's built a great culture in a lot of ways, I'm not so sure this culture is that great right now. John Ryan went off, the former punter. K.J. Wright went off on the cigars, the former player. I think a lot of people hold his opinion in high regard. Brady, do you want me to ask you the cigar question? Are you able to answer it? or <laughs> Ask is, away. Or is Fragile Brady going to... Give me uh, 
both sides to the coin that you're kind of on the fence on the cigars. You ask whatever question you want. In fact, I was even going to suggest that we, we call this the, the up and smoke episode of the Seahawks note table. I thought, and I am now allowed to editorialize because uh, I am not reporting, but okay. I, I right. thought it was a bad look. And and look, the story, we'll get back to the reporting on it. The story was that Julian Love, somebody gave these cigars to Julian Love to you know celebrate the birth of his son a couple weeks ago. Uh, Love said that he, he didn't want to break them out after the Pittsburgh game because they lost and um, you know that's not wasn't the time to do it. And so he figured that this was the last time that the defensive players were all going to really be together in a setting where you know you might want to light up a cigar. And so they, they did it. I, my opinion on it is it is a bad look. People are going to see that who aren't going to really know the backstory of it and probably something that they should have done just away from view. I, I don't think it's a huge deal. But I do think it was a bad look. And and the one sort of point of clarification I'll make is that at some point, a reporter asked Bobby Wagner and Bobby Wagner clearly was not happy about it. And this is a guy who's, you know, won a Super Bowl, been to another. And he just wanted no part of that. Somebody asked Bobby, like, is that youth going like, is this a product of youth that guys are smoking cigars in this situation? And he said yes. But the thing is, is this wasn't just rookies and second year guys. I mean, it was a, a bunch of players on defense, including veterans. So for whatever that is worth, I just wanted to offer that point of clarification that it was not just young players doing it. Let's go through a little bit. We've done this before. And of course, we'll have a lot of time to do it again as the offseason rolls around. But as we conclude this edition of the Seahawks No Table, the final regular season edition of the Seahawks No Table, Let's just go through some of the names, and I'll ask, will he be back? And I'll ask, should he? So we'll play a little game called, will he and should he? And we'll start on the defensive side of the ball, and let's make these answers quick because otherwise we'll miss the national championship game of college football, okay? (laughs) Defensively, Jamal Adams, Brady, you start with him. Will he, should he? No and no. No, they're going to have to take a dead cap hit of, you know, something like what's 16 million dollars plus okay. whatever it is they, okay. they got to do it they're just time has run out they got to move on and time has run out on your answer leonard williams <laughs> brian nemhauser will he should he i think he will and he should yes and yes yes and yes so you're hoping he should be back you're hoping that he'll this be is back. very largely based off of pete carroll and john schneider being back if they're not then he won't but how about you, if you're making the decisions? I'm 100% bringing him back. Okay. All right. Uh, Brady, we're not going to give Brian this one. Jordan Brooks, will he? Should he? Oh, gosh. Will he? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's. I think it's 50-50. And as far as should he, I, I agree with Brian. that I think there's there's got to be a point to where you say, you know, whatever that number is, uh, $13 million a year and above. I, my thought on that would be you've got to see more playmaking in order to, to pay it. a guy at that level. And he did it. take a step up in that regard this year, it. but I need can more I, consistent play. Can I, can I say something that'll, that Brian will bristle about? I, I think you guys know I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I, feel, I really do feel the need as a, um, as a football fan who's had lots of favorite teams. I've had the Dolphins over the years. I, Last night, I was at the Dolphins-Bills game, and I watched a number of different Dolphins standing on the sidelines not playing in the most important game of the year, and I just had to ask myself, I know we shouldn't talk about injuries and who's hurt and who's not. I, I, I often question certain ball players 
whether they really, really want to be out there, whether they're willing to play hurt and sacrifice for the team. And I don't just say this about Jordan Brooks. Say what you want about his playmaking. Say what you want about what kind of contract he deserves. Say what you want about how they can't overpay him and bring him back. I will. You got to say this about Jordan Brooks. He is a gamer. He is yes. out there freaking playing when there are so many other guys that we can question that. Look at how cl- how quickly he came back from that knee injury and he was out there opening day. He he could have so easily s- taken Sunday off, so easily taken Sunday off. He didn't. And then he gets hurt in the first possession. He could have so easily disappeared and he didn't. He got back out there and I think he said at one point during the week, this could be my last go around with the Seahawks. Give me this, Brian, on Jordan Brooks. Give me this on Jordan Brooks. The guy, you want guys on your team that have the mentality and the willingness to play hurt, to not have to be perfect when they're out there playing a football game. Absolutely. I, I, you say that you think I would bristle at that, which I, I think is maybe misunderstanding my position on Jordan Brooks. I think Jordan Brooks is a good player. I, Jordan Brooks is a player I'd love to have on this team. For the right price. I think given the state of the cap and given the state of this roster, he is not a player that you can pay blue chip okay. money to. He is not that guy. Okay. And so you let him go. And, and I wish him well. I've, I've enjoyed watching him. I think he is a very good player. I just don't think he is a elite player. Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger. Will he? Should he? Daryl Taylor. Oh, no and no. Emphatically. He will not be on the team next year, you don't think? I I don't see any way. The, the, the fact of the matter is they can keep him for cheap because he has a fifth year option after he missed a year or something along those lines. No, he's he, restricted for RFA, RFA, right? So... Yeah. They have an easy way to keep him, but this guy was a zero in almost Boy. every aspect. And I think actually negative below zero. I think he hurt the team when he was out there and he had plenty of chances. Does to anybody remember around. how fired up we all were about Daryl Taylor uh, when they drafted yeah. him? My God, I, I go through this every year with these guys. They have me all fired up about certain players. And then four years later, we're, we're racing to drive him to the airport to get him out of town. Will he... Should he, Brady, Quandre Diggs? I think he will because I think that, I mean, they're going to cut Jamal Adams. I I'm, I'm feel pretty confident about that. Uh, and again, I'm not reporting that. I'm just saying that's what I think is going to happen. And I don't know if they're going to want to replace uh, two starting safeties in one offseason. Now, obviously, they've got Julian Love, who uh, is under contract through next season, so he'll be back. But um yeah, I, I think that they will give it one more year uh, with Quandre Diggs. Uh, is it the right they? move? Twenty-one million cap hit. Yeah, I mean they're going to have to do something to lower the cap number, and it's not easy because it, it's you know it, lowering the cap number. Uh, you know, you either get a guy to take a pay cut, which they're not going to do, or you you know extend the guy, which means pouring more money into him. So it's so a is that huge a no cap number. Should, is that a no on should they, or is that a yes on should they, or am I going to just waltz off to the next question? It is. Uh, it is a. <laughs> No, I don't know. It's a no. It's a no. Here, <laughs> but here, they probably will. Here will be the fast. Let's go to the offensive side of the football. Here will be the fastest. Will they? Should they? Brian Nemhauser. Yes. Geno Smith. Yes and yes. <laughs> yes and yes. Yes Guys, and yes. Yes. 
quick quick note on Geno Smith. When he was kept clean on uh, less than uh, 60%. So he, he was under pressure on more than 40% of his snaps this year. When he was kept clean, he was the seventh graded uh, quarterback in the NFL in those situations. If he, if you could just have 5% more of that Gino, 6% more of that Gino, you've got, you've got a top 10 QB in a very, yeah. in a very good situation. Yeah. So I think I, I will, always say that guy is underrated because it seems perpetually that people are going to to just crap on the guy and, and brian it's, it's brian wrong. look into zoom yes. look into zoom and tell me how gino looked when he started using the middle of the field the last three or four weeks of the the season how did how did the passing game look when that started happening more he looked good he looked good mitch i I, you know me, my, my explanation is not as much that, although I think that's part of it. I think it's getting rid of the ball. And I think we should note in this last game against Arizona, he was not getting rid of the ball nearly as quickly and he did not look as good in for much of this game. So I, I think that that's another no, implication. No, there. don't waste. Don't even start Brady. We're moving <laughs> okay. on. We're going to miss the championship game. Listen, uh, will Disley, will he, should he Brady Henderson? Um, I don't think he will, and I don't think he should be back on okay. his current contract. Now, the okay. caveat I will throw out there is I could Always see Always a caveat this, with Brady. Go ahead. Yes. So, <laughs> Will Disley got way more money than he or his agent were anticipating when they uh, re-signed him a couple years ago. So, I could see him maybe playing ball with the Seahawks and doing something to help them out to maybe lower that cap number, uh, whether that's, you know, kind of a pseudo extension that, you know, doesn't add a whole lot of new money, but somehow gets that cap number down. Uh, but he should not be back on that cap number. And and if, if it's an either or, if he's either not back or he's back on the cap number uh, as it is, then I don't think he is. Our audience, Brian, will bristle when I ask you the next one. They'll be like, why are you bringing him up? Tyler Lockett, will he, should he, Brian Nemhauser? So Tyler Lockett, $27 million why I'm asking. next year. Um, I do not think he will be back, and I don't think it's because the team will cut him. I think Tyler Lockett is going to retire. That's my, that's my prediction. So I don't think it's going to be in the team's hands. Let's I think assume Pete Carroll may have. Let's assume he doesn't retire. Now answer the question. If he doesn't retire, yeah, will he? Should he? Uh, if he doesn't retire, then he redoes the deal. I no, I don't. They just they just did some restructure. So I would say, I would say he would be back, but he should not be back. Like they they need to they need to create cap space and they need to to elevate JSN. Okay, Brady, Trey Brown and Mike Jackson. I don't know their contract statuses. Uh, 22 and 30. Will they? Should they? Uh, yes, 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 yes. They'll both yeah, be so back. Trey, okay. Okay. Yeah. So Trey Brown, uh, he was a fourth round pick in 2021, I do believe. So that means he's got one more year left on yeah. his rookie contract as a, you know, fourth round pick. So that's going to cost them relatively little. 1.2 um, million. Yeah, that's that's fine for him. Uh, Mike Jackson, on the other hand, I just clarified uh, this with him in the locker room. He will be a restricted free agent. So that could be a situation where 
they offer him the low tender. It probably actually they would just non-tender him and then you know re-sign him to a minimum salary deal. That's I think what they will do. But um, I think he will be back, and I think he should be back because you guys know how I feel about Mike Jackson. I know He's you great. do. I know you do. And and finally, Brian, I'm going to ignore the tackles. I'm not going to ask about the tackles on that great offensive line that you spouted off all the, the, the <laughs> yeah. from your BFF PFF. Let's talk uh-huh. about the interior of the offensive line. Let's yeah. talk about Haynes and. Lewis and Brown, will they? Should they? And you could take them one by one or as a group, whatever you like. I think Brown uh, will come back and should come back. I think Evan Brown was a passable center this year and gives them a hedge against Olu um, and can be a backup. And he also can play guard. So I, I think I think he's a guy you keep around and won't cost you much to do so. I, I've been pretty clear about Damian Lewis. Uh, Another guy that he, we were we were stoked about early mm-hmm. in his boy where we stoked about Damian Lewis early in his career. Yes. If Pete Carroll's still here, Damian Lewis will be back. I do not think I strongly do not think he should be back. Um, I, I feel I would feel better about Jordan Brooks coming back than I do about, about Phil Haynes Lewis coming back. Phil Haynes uh, will not be back and should not be back. He, he blew his big chance this year, uh, injured a lot and uh, yeah, does not does not figure in the future plan. Which brings us to the most important will they, should they of the podcast. Brady, Brian Nemhauser, Seahawks no table. Will he, should he? <laughs> well, as you know, I'm fragile, and so I don't like to answer these tough questions head on. So I will. Um, yes, of course. I'm yes, and yes. I have an unequivocally. I, yes, I have yes. an. I Do you need an to know my cap hit? Uh, no, I don't need to know your cap hit. I haven't answered any of the questions that I just asked. So I'll take this one and only this one. All right. I can't answer. Will he? I can definitely answer. Should he? The answer is yes. A thousand times over in the should he, but only he and Tyler Lockett will decide about Brian Nemhauser's future on uh, on the Seahawks note table. And that's it. That's all I got for you guys. So the season's over. By the way, Brady picks up the last KP. Brady would be very upset if I didn't bring that up, right? That was the, that was the money ball one, right? So we, yeah, it was, I win. It was worth 30. It was worth 30. Yeah. I'd like to okay. congratulate Brady for your second place finish. Congratulations. I think Thank that's you. maybe your best finish of your career. <laughs> I beat Joe Fan one of those years. Come on. <laughs> and there it is. The Seahawks note table, of course. We'll gather these guys whenever they're available as we uh, move along during the postseason. But the regular editions of the Seahawks note table come to an end. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. Thank you, Brady. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate it. Always fun. And Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger. Follow him. What a great addition he was to the Seahawks note table this season. Brian, thanks for all that you've done for us. Very kind of you, Mitch. It's been a blast. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsay Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. I got to tell you, while my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsay's family was experiencing 
the Les Shy remodel after a couple of months. How'd it come out, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Happy holidays. Uh, it came out great. We had a great time. The space looks beautiful. The views are even better. There's more windows, bigger windows. We kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views. It's awesome. Uh, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. Yeah, we've already made plans. The Levy family has to check out the new remodel at Les Shy, the original Daniels Broiler. Now, Daniels starts with a D. December starts with a D. There's nothing quite like Daniels during the holidays, Lindsay. It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshi that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. Nice. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. Downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the Winter Wonderland, the Snowflake Lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure. And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, world-class steakhouses. It's the stretch run of the football season, which has been a good one at all of our favorite Zeke's Pizza locations. Here's our buddy Dan Black. Dan, how are you? And how's the pigskin promotion going at all the Zeke's? Uh, I'm doing good, Mitch. Thanks. Uh, pigskin 10's been super popular. It's been great. People have been using it like intended, mainly delivery and pickup orders. They're ordering it on football days, which is when it's active, which is Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So people, when they're watching their favorite team, watching games, uh, we've been getting tons of pigskin 10 orders, which as you know, is 10 bucks off an order of $40 or more. And uh, mm -hmm. like I say, it's, it's specifically meant to watch football. And as we head into the uh, NFL playoffs and bowl season and stuff, we may add some days that are important football watching days as necessary. And it'll run all the way through the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's been super popular and we expect it to keep going strong here for the next few weeks. Talking football, Dan, the last time you and I were together, your son, Hank, at the University of Texas. And here we go again. You guys banging heads in another bowl game. But this one's a big one, Dan, for the Black family. Oh, yeah. Uh, Black family bowl 2.0. <laughs> and, you know, we were surprised as a family when it happened once. And, you know, the Huskies were pretty stoked after last year because we thought we would have perpetual bragging rights forever after winning the Alamo Bowl. But, you know, yeah, no, we're here we go again with much higher stakes. And, you know, both teams are really good. Everybody expects a good game. One thing I can say is that the Longhorn fans have a way better estimation of how good the Huskies are. They're definitely not as delusionally overconfident as the Duck fans were going into the Pac-12 championship. And the whole family will be there? Yeah, the whole family's going down to the Sugar Bowl, and we're looking looking forward to it. We, I think like most Husky fans, we were would have preferred the Rose Bowl. But, yeah, we, we figured out how to get everybody down there. It won't be easy, but, yeah, we're all going to be down there. That's beautiful. And what's the what's the black family eating? What's what's Hank when he comes home eating? What kind of pizza are we getting at Zeke's these days? Okay, yeah, now so Hank is a what we call a weird orderer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like I'm doing like Puget Pounders and Dragons and Wood Butchers, you know, kind of good winter type pizzas. Hank is a guy that'll do like a cherry bomb with a ranch base or he'll do a buffalo soldier with some weird additional topping or whatever. I don't even pay attention. I don't, he, he always, he, 
he usually gets his own medium or small and the rest of the family <laughs> eats more normal stuff. Zeke's Pizza, ladies and gentlemen, for football season all the way through the Super Bowl. Pigskin10 is the code. $10 off your order. Minimum order of $40. We love Zeke's Pizza. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 270, Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, we're Washington Husky-centric on this show, but the NFL playoffs are now here. Unfortunately, without the Seahawks, there's no better guy to solicit a few pearls of wisdom than football morning in America's Peter King, who was in the same building as I was on Sunday night. Peter, how are you? Mitch, everything is going good. It was an interesting game, but an unsurprising outcome, I thought. Yeah. Me too. So it's a postseason yeah. without the Seahawks, Peter. The oldest coach in the NFL, Pete Carroll, has spoken. He says, I want to come back. I expect to be back. And there are many 12s that are respectfully pushing for change. I know when it comes to Jody Allen, there's no such thing as whispers, but I'm assuming you haven't heard much on that front. No, I haven't. And I have assumed I've assumed that if Pete wants to come back, he's going to come back. Now, I do think that at some point soon, there has to be some improvement. And uh, not that this is certainly not that it's a bad franchise, because it isn't. This is a good franchise. But, you know, the, the offense went in reverse this year. I mean, I feel like Mitch, it's a little bit of a pogo stick on offense right now that one of the reasons why I think John Schneider did a very good job in getting what he got for Russell Wilson after the 21 season uh, is that he sort of not only was it becoming sort of a difficult personal situation between Wilson and the team, but he also had slid in his ability and, and the, and the offense slid as well. And last year it improved with a surprisingly good performance by Geno Smith. However, this year, I feel like it went back to almost 2021 levels. And this is an offense now that it looks to me that you really have to spend this off season looking for the next quarterback of this franchise. And I think it'll be really interesting because it's clear right now that the Seahawks don't have to. And again, I'm, I'm putting thoughts and deeds in John Schneider's mouth because I don't know what they're going to do. I doubt they know what they're going to do. My feeling is when you've got the 16th pick in the draft, in a draft like this one, that you never know, you might be facing having Michael Penix or Bo Nix or maybe even both fall to you because there's no guarantee how the quarterbacks are going to be graded and how they're going to come off. Uh, the board. So I think they're going to have a decision to make. And that decision is, do we go quarterback early or do we trust the process and wait a while to get a quarterback? It's funny that you center your remarks, Peter, on the offensive side of the ball. When most of us that have watched week to week would say that the defense is the biggest problem there again, 
31st in the league in run defense. They add these guys like Devin Witherspoon, who has a good year. Julian Love has a good year. Jaron Reed has a good year. Leonard Williams, they get in the middle of the season from the Giants. Bobby Wagner, again, leads the world in tackles. And yet, as a team, individually, some good performance. But as a group, their defense truly, and that's Pete Carroll's staple, has been really poor the last five, six, seven, eight, almost since the Legion of Doom. Yeah. And you look at it now, Mitch, I was, I knew we were going to be talking about the Seahawks. So I just went back because what you're saying is exactly what I'm thinking. And you know what is, when you think about it, and this is sort of the base of everything that's wrong. Two years ago in 2021, they were a good run defense team. They weren't a good defense overall, but they were a good run defense team. They averaged less than four yards per opponent carry. But then you go into 2022, and that rises skyrockets to right. 4.86 a carry. Right. And then this year, it's still way too high at 4.57. Look, that's got to be solved, period. It's got to be solved. And when you're in a division right now, and you look at this division, and you've got three, you got one transcendent running back and two other very good ones in Christian McCaffrey, Kyron Williams, and James Conner. I mean, James Conner has been tremendous over the last month of this season, one of the best backs in football. And so I look at their situation, and Pete Carroll, I believe, must make a plan with John Schneider to the thing that needs to improve the most of anything on this team is run defense. Peter, before I get off of the Seahawks and ask you about some other things around the league, let's assume for a second that Jody Allen and the people that surround her surprise us for a minute and they make a change. So I have two questions. Do you think that they could pry Dan Quinn away from Dallas? And who are this cycle who are the hot young names, the coordinators, the guys that we're going to be hearing are interviewing at all these vacant NFL head coaching positions? You're asking what to me is a really good question about what the Seahawks would do and should do if they make a coaching change. I think automatically almost every team is looking for that top offensive brain. Right. Somebody from the Shanahan McVay tree. Right. Okay, and I think there's a bunch of good position coaches who are ready to be coordinators there, uh, like the pass game uh, coordinator of the Rams, Jake Peets. But I don't know that there are any of those guys right now who would be good candidates, good offensive minds, who would be good candidates to take over a team right now, except maybe Clint Kubiak of the 49ers who's their passing game guy. But I would say this. I think, Mitch, you you talked about Dan Quinn. I would not open up this process if there's a process to be open, thinking categorically that we're going to go one side of the ball or the other. Okay, I think you've got to interview and find the best coach. And that's why I think Dan Quinn, who always has interviewed impressively, always is good standing in front of a team, But the one guy who I think would really be a great match with the Seahawks, who I would love to see them consider if they make a change, is Raheem Morris. 
I think he got the job in Tampa too young. And if you talk to guys who've played for him in recent years, you talk to Aaron Donald and the sun rises and sets with Raheem Morris as far as Aaron Donald is concerned. Jalen Ramsey loves him. I think he's a guy who I definitely, if I had a coaching search, absolutely unequivocally, I'd talk to Raheem Morris. I'd talk to Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens, who used to, who now has worked for both Harbaugh brothers, Jim at Michigan, now John with the Ravens. But, but I think Mitch, I think you open it up, assuming that Schneider stays. Yeah, John Schneider is a really smart and very well connected guy around the league. Knows what he likes. If they are going to have a search, and I don't think they are he'd be the perfect guy to run it. If you had to bet your mortgage, yes or no, even money, Peter, on Jim Harbaugh being a coach in the NFL next year, you would bet yes or no? 70-30, yes. Really? Yes. I know it's a cliche and everybody has talked about this, but when you hire a guy who has a lot of NFL clients, he represented Tom Brady, he represents Sean Payton and other coaches, Don Yee, a very well-respected agent in the business. When you hire him, you basically are going to be sure that he's going to investigate jobs in the NFL. And right now, Mitch, I think that if you look at the NFL and the jobs, you have a bunch of owners who have been downtrodden for a while and who want help. And they'd love to turn it over to a guy and then they're able to go on vacation for six weeks and not worry about the team. That is what I think is on the minds of guys like Dean Spanos, like Mark Davis, maybe like Josh Harris in Washington. But I think Josh Harris's process will be a little bit too long for Jim Harbaugh. So I doubt he ends up there. But anyway, we'll see. Same question, even money. Bill Belichick is coaching in the NFL next year. Yes or no? Yes. Almost definitely. He wants to keep coaching. If the Crafts and he divorce, he would get a job. The big question about Bill Belichick, really, when you look at their recent draft record, which has been somewhere between abysmal and horrible. I mean, here's the stat I had in my column today that when you look at Bill Belichick and his drafting record, between 2014 and 2020, the 28 draft choices they had in the first three rounds of the draft, not a single one earned a second contract with the Patriots. Oh, for 28. Wow. At some point, Bill Belichick has to look himself in the mirror and say, I suck at personnel. I'm sorry. It's, it's so obvious. And I think any owner who gives Bill Belichick full control over the franchise is going to live to regret it. What's a good landing spot for him? Chargers, Raiders, I think Washington uh, will have some interest in Belichick. But okay. right now, I think Bill has it in his head that he would really like to break the record. He's 15 uh, games away from uh, uh, Don Shula's all-time record, and he'd really like to break the record. So he, I'm sure, is asking himself, Let's just say for the sake of argument, I only coach two more years. Where can I win eight games a year over the next two years? And to me, the most obvious one would be the Chargers. And a lot of people have said, well, geez, the Spanoses don't pay. And maybe they won't. I don't know. But 
for Bill Belichick, you know, who owns four homes on Nantucket, uh, I doubt that the most important thing in his world right now is money. Although clearly he's like any other person, you know, he wants to make money. Everybody does. But I don't know that that's going to be his number one uh, criterion. All right, Peter King, as we enter the playoffs, there's no doubt that the Ravens are the chalkiest of chalk. And I'd say the 49ers won and maybe the Cowboys 1A in the NFC as you and I speak. Are we anticipating surprises in the playoffs or pretty much results according to form? There's always surprises. And, you know, I think the Rams have a good chance of going into Detroit and winning. Detroit's a little bit better team, but Detroit also has some significant injuries. I don't know whether Sam Laporta plays this weekend. Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think, other than Jared Goff, is their most important offensive player because he is involved in every single game in a big way. I mean, it's crazy. I'm on Ross St. Brown, the the 17th wide receiver picked in the 2021 draft. In three years, he's caught 315 balls. Wow. It's it's lunacy how many teams passed on him. And honestly, that drives him to this day. If he was the fifth pick in the draft, he wouldn't be as good as he is now. And I know that sounds weird, but it's absolutely true. He's been driven by that lack of respect on draft day in 21, and he will – he will be for the rest of his career. But I think the Rams have a chance. I think the one other thing, the one other team, because you know we've seen it, you saw it this weekend. I think Buffalo is a really interesting team because if they play a game with maybe one significant mistake, I think they're, they have a chance, a very good chance to beat anybody they play, including Baltimore. Just remember one other thing about Baltimore, Mitch. Lamar Jackson has played in four playoff games. He's lost three. Yep. And the Ravens have averaged 13 points a game on offense in his four games. He has not played even a decent playoff game in any of the four that he's played. And I'll just make this point, Mitch, and I don't want anybody to think because I'm not, I am not dissing the Ravens in any way, shape, or form. I agree with everybody else. The Ravens are terrific, and I think they're going to have a really good chance to win the Super Bowl. But let's just for a moment remember that the Cleveland Browns, who I would think have a decent chance to be their first foe, I think the Cleveland Browns... yes. Give them a present hard time. some problems. Yeah, they do. You know, they're the best defense in football. Yeah. So yeah. they present problems for Lamar. So we'll see what happens. But I, I very anxiously await Lamar's performance in these playoffs. And, I, and if I go back to the very, one of the very first football morning in America columns of the year, let's say I go back to the one that came out Monday, Labor Day, Peter, and I look up Peter King's Super Bowl picks as we got ready for the season. I would see what? Gee, I got to remember now. Um, I picked 
I picked Buffalo. I think I picked Buffalo and San Francisco. But wow. I, you know what, Mitch? I gotta look that up. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I picked Buffalo. Okay. I know. I picked Buffalo. And you know why I picked Buffalo? I'll never forget this. I sat there on Friday of Labor Day weekend. My wife and I were gonna take a couple of days off, so I really wanted to get my column done a little bit early. And sometimes this happens. I get a little bit reactionary about people and how they view certain teams. Okay. And the reason was, remember the line about the Buffalo Bills was that windows closing on the Bills, they're done. Okay. And I just thought to myself, what are you crazy? They're not done. They got Josh Allen. He's great and blah, blah. So I said, I am picking Buffalo. And now I just looked it up and I know who I picked. I picked the Philadelphia Eagles and Mitch, I'll just say this. I would like to have that one back. (laughs) That's a terrible, that's a terrible team right now. I wrote my column this week, the weirdest betting line I've ever seen entering the playoffs is the Eagles being favored at Tampa Monday night. What is there? No television in Las Vegas. (laughs) Have they not? Has the, has the pony express not gotten the results of the games to the people who make lines? I guess they're still in Vegas, right? Maybe they're in Keokuk, Iowa. I don't know, but I just find it hard to believe because I've watched a lot of the Eagles down the stretch didn't see him yesterday, but they were down to the Giants 24 to nothing at halftime. It's an embarrassing team right now. So I don't know. I think it's a really, really interesting thing that's going to happen in Philadelphia. And I don't put it past the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, to make a change if he feels like he has to. I don't wow. think he will. Wow. I just don't put it past wow. him. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the best way to enhance your enjoyment of the the NFL's postseason. It's the football morning in America column by my friend Peter King comes out each and every week on Mondays or on Tuesdays, depending upon when the last game is played over the weekend. Peter King back on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Peter. My best to you and your family and a happy and healthy belated new year to you. Hey, thanks a lot, Mitch. Well, 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 I smell some better mortgage rates finally. That brings in Jordan Flowers, Woodenville office, cross-country mortgage, back on Mitch Unfiltered. Ray drops the way that he used to drop passes at East Lake High School. <laughs> Ouch, man. And, and, with that the, and, with the, and that's why he's in the mortgage business, ladies and gentlemen, and the phone should be ringing, right, Jordan? <laughs> well, at least something's ringing off the hook. Yes, it is busy. Phones are ringing like jingle bells. It's awesome. <laughs> We're having a great time here. We're seeing rates already down about a point, point and a half. It took us six months to lose about 300 basis points on the 30-year 6% coupon, and we're, we gained that back in the last 30 days. So wow. things are looking good. Significant. How have the rate drops affected the market that you can tell? And how about new cross-country products that we should be thinking about as we head towards the new year? Yeah, the rate drops have already impacted the market with uh, buyers getting a little more excited and confident and writing up offers and getting under contract now since they're already seeing probably $500 to $1,000 a month savings in a 1% to 2% drop in rates from where they were just a few months ago. Yeah. 
and refis are going to be coming up here soon, especially as the Fed starts to cut rates. So things are definitely picking up here. And as far as new products go, there's a bunch of products that have been coming out. One specifically that we're very excited about moving into next year is a construction loan, but a construction loan for investors that are looking to build five to 10 unit mixed use properties, somewhat hard to come across. And uh, we are offering it, I believe we're one of maybe the only lender in the area offering it right now. So mixed use properties, five to 10 units, investors that want to build those apartments or condos and sell them or rent them out. Yep. We've got that for you. So up to $4 million. So I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener who's either looking at a refi or making a purchase. And I want to talk and ask questions to Jordan Flowers directly. I call him where? You call me or text me directly at 425-890-2957. There it is, Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. We love him. Great, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Episode 270, Mitch Unfiltered, Washington Falls to Michigan in the National Championship game of college football. This is typically the other stuff segment, Hot Shot Scott. But we're going to dominate this segment with a topic we have not talked about yet on episode 270. And that's that convincing Seahawks win <laughs> in Glendale, Arizona against the Phoenix Cardinals or Arizona Cardinals. I'm still not entirely certain how they won the game or if they won the game. But there was a two-point conversion in there, yeah. and there were two missed field goals down the stretch by the Cardinals. One was a chip shot and one at the end of the game that that guy almost always hits. And all of a sudden, the Seattle Seahawks, who are already eliminated from the postseason, they mm. find a way to drop two spots in the NFL first round of the draft by winning the game by one point in Arizona. <laughs> So now we have to just keep an eye on who that player that's is right, that gets right. picked. <laughs> that's our new goal for the season next year. Uh, that was rough. Just rough. Every, that, that whole season, it just felt milk toast and uninspiring, and it didn't feel like a playoff team or anything you really want to root for. Just, it was just kind of a, like a lame duck season to me. And so now Pete Carroll comes to the microphone after the game, mm -hmm. and he's asked the question immediately. And his answer is, I want to coach next year, and I expect that I will be coaching next year. So the idea that Pete Carroll is going to retire is now out the window unless he doesn't about face and changes his mind. The ball is in Jody Allen's hands, and you would imagine with a sale coming in the next couple years, it doesn't look to me like any change, at least at Pete Carroll's position, is going to happen. Now, I might be wrong, and and maybe by the time this goes to air, this this drops, yeah. this episode, Pete Carroll will be out of a job as a Seattle yeah. Seahawks coach. But it really does not look like any change is coming, at least at that spot this year. I don't know about the offensive coordinator. I don't know about the defensive coordinator. But a betting man would, would put money on the fact that Pete Carroll is coming back to run it back. Hot shot. We're going to run it back next year. Run it back again? How many times we got to run, run it back? It back. <laughs> getting tired another lot nine, of running another nine and 18 <laughs> oh god i know look he's got a winning record that's what that's what his agent's telling jody allen look at my client he all he does is have a winning record every year you're gonna every fire year. this guy hey you gotta give him an extension a raise you know no one loves pete carroll more than me i mean i for really? what he did what well, just considering what he nobody did for the team loves I grew up pete carroll for, more than you did you say how that? could i not oh, how, how could i not he brought a super bowl to 
the town that to the team I've been rooting for since I'm a kid. Yeah. Like I'll always love him for that. But I would not be sad if there was a change, a different direction with the coaching staff. I mean, look how it worked out for the Huskies, by the way, that we just been talking about it. Think about how you felt when Jimmy Lake was there. Like, oh my God, this is been Kalen DeBoer comes in. Now, how do we feel about the program? Yeah. So yes, it can, it can happen. It can be for the better. So I'm open to it. I think it's time for Pete Carroll to head out. Well, if you think it's time for Pete Carroll to head out, then you have fundamentally cannot be the guy who loves Pete Carroll the most because whoever that guy is who loves him more than you do, he wants him to stay. He wants him to stay forever and ever. And so there's somebody out there, fans of the Seattle Seahawks, that want Pete Carroll to be the head coach for as long as he wants to be. So the notion that nobody loves him more than you do cannot be an accurate statement. It just can't. But it's it's for the team. It's for the it's for the it's for the good of the team. You know, when Andre the Giant let Hulk Hogan slam him at WrestleMania, it was for the good of of the yeah. WWF. Yeah. It's you got to look to the future. Doesn't yeah. mean we don't love Pete Carroll. We'll always love Pete Carroll. Boy, was it fun what he brought here. But I can't do another lame duck nine and eight uninspired. I don't give a shit season that comes down to what do you, you say, know, Hotshot, to the people that say, but Hotshot, be careful what you wish for. If you replace Pete Carroll, I mean, Pete Carroll gets us in position to make the playoffs every year. We're right there. We're on the cusp of making the playoffs or making the playoffs every single year. We're relevant when it comes to the playoffs. And if you replace him, you may bring in a guy here who goes four and 13. And then you're the Seahawks of 1978 again, 1980 again, 1981 again. (laughs) What do you say to that guy? The guy who says, don't make the change for fear of the worst happening. I mean, that's always the risk that you take. Who you bring it in? Who are you going to replace him with? Is he going to be better than nine and eight? We don't know. But I think the upside is worth risking the downside. So I'm, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready to... I don't want to just be relevant for the playoffs. I want to be relevant for the Super Bowl. I want people to be talking about what a badass team that right. Seattle put together. Because right. right. I just don't feel it at all right now. And the Seahawks just not inspiring me to watch them at all. Well, what you just said is the way they feel in most cities. You keep a coach because you think that there's a chance, oh my God, we're on the precipice of something special here. This guy can take us to the promised land, the promised land not being nine and eight and barely a playoff spot. You keep a coach because you think he can win a world championship ultimately. Maybe it's not this year, but you see the progression. You see an avenue, a road to where you could be a contending team for all the marbles, right? That's why you keep a coach. I would think that that fans in New York or Chicago would be laughing at hearing what I just said, which is (laughs) Seahawks fans that want to keep Pete Carroll, None of them want to keep Pete Carroll because they see right now that you can look at this team and say, oh, my God, they're on this ascent to the world championship. Seahawks fans want to keep Pete Carroll because they're scared of what the next guy might be a 4-13 coach. And right there is the difference between the Seattle sports fan and the Philadelphia sports fan and the New York sports fan. Philadelphia and New York sports fans are are not calling radio shows to keep the coach (laughs) <laughs> because we're afraid that the next coach might go four and 13 when right. they see a coach at a dead end, even yeah. if it's nine and eight every single year and a chance yeah, to, yeah. to slip into a seven team NFC playoff field, if it's a dead end, they're not scared 
of, oh, my God, the sky might fall on the next right. coach that's there. They're calling radio shows saying, get that effort out of here. We yeah. want we want I the mean, next guy. You brought up Philadelphia. I mean, they got rid of Andy Reid. Has, has he had success since he left Philadelphia? <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he had success in Philadelphia and they still wanted him out. Because, so, yeah, he, because right. they felt that he was at a dead end, that they weren't going yep. they weren't going to to the Super Bowl again with uh, Andy Reid. So the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles fans wanted a change. Where do you stand? I mean, if you, you know if you how can... I stand, I've said it over and over again. I know yeah. just about every podcast the last four five, six weeks. I think it has been time for change for a long time. And that's not to be disrespectful for how you feel about Pete Carroll and everybody else feels about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll on the day that he steps away should go into the, he shouldn't even have to wait to go into the ring of honor. Potentially, I guess he could be a hall of fame candidate someday a football Hall of Fame candidate in Canton, Ohio. I don't know if he is or isn't. I have nothing but accolades. In fact, I air myself out every time I talk about him. I didn't think he'd be a good NFL coach. I didn't think he'd be a good fit for the Seahawks. I thought he was going to be here for four years and out. I was dead wrong. He was was everything you could have ever wanted. But how much longer can you watch the same thing over and over and over again? And to me, the biggest indictment, and I've said this on a bunch of shows, I even said it, on a uh, on an FM radio show on Monday, the biggest indictment of Pete Carroll is the defensive side of the football. Hmm. We all know that every head coach, right, Hotshot? Every head coach has a background either on the offensive side or on the defensive side. This particular coach has a defensive background. He's a defensive guy. He's a defensive guru. And how many years <laughs> has on that side of the ball been... A disaster. They finished 31st again, 31st in the league in run defense, 31st out of 32 teams. How many years after the Legion of Boom are we going to see Pete Carroll coach a bad defensive team? Some years it was we can't get to the quarterback and they just kill us through the air. More recent years have been we can't stop anybody's running game. Last year, they finished 32nd or 31st in run defense, right? And they went out and they added all kinds of defensive players like Devin Witherspoon, who's been good, and and Leonard Williams and Jaron Reed. And they go out and they get these guys and they tell us how good and how exciting and how improved the rush defense is going to be. And then the season ends and they're 31st in the league and run defense, whether it's Pete Carroll or any other head coach. When your forte side of the ball, whether that's offensive defense, is bad year after year after year, and you have to hire new coordinators and fire coordinators and hire coordinators, Ken Norton, Clint Hurt, at what point do you say, hey, the buck stops with the head coach? Yeah, it's on me. It's on the head coach. I knew Paul Allen a little tiny bit, just a little tiny. Okay. No, nobody really knew Paul Allen. I knew him a little tiny bit. Based on what I knew and what I saw and the way I saw him handle Mike Holmgren, handle Jim Mora, mm-hmm. handle Pete Carroll, when I go back and I think back of the way Paul Allen ran the Seattle Seahawks, I am almost certain that he would have never let this get to this point. For as good as Pete Carroll has been, I don't think Paul, I don't think he would have been the coach this long if Paul Allen were still alive. And you're wondering now if if Jody sort of views it the same way or if she's well, I don't know that comfortable she's comfortable making I, I, big moves like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's her brother's team. She probably thinks yep. she probably thinks I'm not a football guy. 
The, the guy won a world championship. I know that about him. I know that right. we've had more success as a franchise than any other franchise, any other Seahawks franchise. And, yep. I, and I also know, by the way, that I'm going to sell the team. The estate is going to sell the team in probably the next two years or less. Right. So am I really going out and firing Pete Carroll and hiring a new young guy when I'm going to go sell the team in a year? And yeah. maybe the new owner is going to want to hire his own guy. It feels to me like the tea leaves are saying one more year of Pete Carroll. Anyway, I guess we should do some RIPs and then get out of here. David Soul, famous for playing Detective Kenneth oh, yeah. Hutchinson on the buddy cop TV series Starsky and Hutch passed away. Yeah. You remember David Soul, right? Of course. I remember Starsky and Hutch. I used to watch it a little bit as a kid. He was yeah. 80 years old. That was a very popular. That's probably before your time. That may be the difference between you and me in age. That would have yeah, been well, I mean, that probably would have been mid 1970s. I was probably eight, nine years old when that when that show was on. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Something like that. Yeah, I definitely remember like the lunch boxes and all the merch. And Starsky and Hutch was a big deal. That was a huge show. But I remember him from his smash hit that he had. Oh, a song. You know yes, that- he was a singer. I remember he was a singer. Yes. He had a song. I don't know if he was a singer. <laughs> no, it's a, he could sing. But yes, he had one number one hit in 1976. I don't know for sure if it was the number one song in the land, but he had a big hit in 1976 with Don't Give Up On Us. Don't give up on us, us, baby. We're still worth one more try. I hate to say it because this has not been a stirring tribute. It's a pretty awful song. I mean, it's just, (laughs) oh, it's so sappy. But um, yeah. He had a big hit with that. He had uh, six kids from five and from five different women, oh, eighty years old. David nice. Soul. Yeah, he he liked the ladies, as they say. Angus Mitchell. You won't know that name, but you know the name Paul Mitchell. Yeah, from the that, hair salon stuff. The hair that's stuff. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. Law enforcement sources say they got a call just after six a.m. on Wednesday to Angus's home, and he appeared to have drowned in a pool. Oh, they geez. say he was. Yeah, they were dead at the scene. No official cause of death other than drowning. But Angus, the co-owner of John Paul Mitchell Systems, which was founded by his dad back in 1980, inherited his dad's stake. So rest in peace to him. Actress Glennis Johns, famous for... I can't believe she's still... She was in the original Mary Poppins in 1964. <laughs> like Dick Van Dyke's still alive, too. So, God, who knows what they were doing on that set. But born in South Africa, settled in England, where she worked as an actress for 20 years. Yeah. She's kind of a legend. I mean, she, you know, she did the whole 80s murder. She wrote Cheers, Love Boat, all that stuff. But Glennis Johns passed away. Okay. 100 years old, she turned in October. So Is that your her. last one? Because you've missed one really good one. Oh, I'm not done yet. Uh... I have Lacey Underall to yes. talk about. <laughs> you think I'm going to miss Cindy Morgan? Yeah. Famous for her role as Lacey Underall? No way, man. But see, you're not a Caddyshack guy. You don't love that movie like I do, right? I mean, you don't love it. Oh, I did love it. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, I loved Caddyshack. I don't know that I loved it as much as you, but. <laughs> or but everyone else. <laughs> but I, but uh, yeah, I, I I still stop when I'm doing the rotation on, on cable and it pops up on my screen. I stop. Absolutely, I stop. Yeah. So and, good. And who didn't have a crush on Lacey Underall? Cindy <laughs> Lacey Morgan. Underall, Cindy yes, Morgan. Cindy 19, Morgan. Uh, she was 69 years old, played opposite of Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield as uh, yep. the country club owner's hot niece, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she was. Yeah. Headlines, please. Episode 270. What do you got? 
A customer has filed a negligence lawsuit against Dunkin' Donuts, claiming he was injured by an exploding toilet. Oh. Hey, like their slogan says, America gets the runs from Dunkin'. Alaska Airlines flight leaving Portland makes an emergency landing after the windows blow out yeah. mid-flight. Yeah. Imagine how scary that would be. You finally escape Portland, then you have to immediately return to it. A Pittsburgh couple, Clayton Law and his wife Carrie, are coming to terms with their dog Cecil, who ate an envelope containing $4,000 in cash. Their dog ate $4,000 in cash. Yet another classic wags to riches story. And finally, the Board of Regents of the University of Wisconsin has fired a 63-year-old university chancellor from his position after discovering sexually explicit videos he made with his wife. Wait, we finally find a married couple in their 60s who still want to have sex and we punish them for it? <laughs> Jesus. Should be given a medal, this guy. Episode 270, ladies and gentlemen. I wish, I wish, I heartily wish yeah, that too. this was about a national championship Huskies team. But hey, it was a magical run that brought a lot of happiness into our lives there was a lot of fun for 14 15 weeks it just didn't end the way we wanted it to end but maybe they're on the right track now with kalen DeBoer. we'll see what they have up their sleeves in 2024 as for the seahawks not so much what's the answer (laughs) not so much (laughs) can't wait for next episode 270 (laughs) mitch unfiltered in the books